Sean, I heard you had a bone to pick with me about the Derek Brunson versus Anderson Silva fight. I've got quite the bone to pick with you. Let me let me tell you, it's like me and you are kind of like we're scientists, you know, and we come into work one day and we're like, hey, do you know about how the tides affect the or the tides are affected by the moon? And you'll be like, yeah, did you know about carbon emissions? And we'll talk about science and we'll come in the next day and we'll talk about science facts a little bit. And then the next day I came in and I tell you a little science fact and you go, Hey, did you know the world was flat? And I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? The world isn't the world isn't flat. And you're like, no, 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 no. The world is flat. And it's like you won't give up on this idea that the world is flat. And I get all frustrated and I walk out and then I go outside and you've got a new Mercedes and like you've got a vanity license plate that says flat earth on it and I figured out that they were paying you off in order to say that the, the world was flat. That's what I figured out. That's how I feel about your scoring on the on the Brunson Anderson fight. Man, that's how you that feel, huh? The world is flat. <laughs> yes, indeed. So, so how do you really feel, Sean Carey? <laughs> that's that's it, man. I, here's what really happened. See, Anderson Silva tricked Derek Brunson into fighting Anderson Silva's fight. The unfortunate, that's unfortunate. The more unfortunate part is that he somehow tricked you into, into thinking that Anderson Silva won his fight. <laughs> he did trick Derek, Derek Brunson into fighting his fight, and then he lost his fight. So, yes, he looked bad, but Anderson looked worse. Man. Brunson did nothing, but Anderson did less. There's and, so and much I, to say. I offered, of, of course, we were going to sit down and score this fight together and let people sync up so we could do it, but you've, you've denied my request because you're a little scared, I think. <laughs> I don't think he's hurt. I think he's scared, but there's no reason to rewatch it, man. I mean, look, we always talk about how we'll take a win by any means necessary, whether it's a controversial decision, like in this case, or a DQ, whatever it takes. I mean, just like the Holly Holm fight, you know, I could sit here and cry about how she got hit after the bell. No. I mean, whatever, man. No. It is what it is. But in There's terms a difference, of, man. But I agree. However, let's talk about this Brunson fight, because it's interesting. Because in Anderson Silva's prime, Sean, in his prime, he was known for getting taken down early by wrestlers, and he'd get taken down in that first round, and he'd get beat up. I'm talking about against Dan Henderson, against Chael Sonnen both times. Fucking even uh, against Travis Luter, that first round, he's getting taken down and getting his ass whooped, and he would find a way to come back and win. Derek Brunson's the number eight guy yeah. in the world, and he couldn't even take him down until, you know, the end of the second round. And it wasn't really a takedown. It was more Anderson throwing a kick and, you know, getting off balance and falling down type thing. And then when Derek gets on top, there's no damage. I'm kind of like, wouldn't you expect a guy like Derek Brunson to just take down Anderson at will and maul him, kind of like guys used to do in Anderson's prime? That's what a wrestler used to do to Anderson Silva. That's what a wrestler's known for doing against Anderson Silva. Derek Brunson went in there starstruck and... Not not only that, he had zero time to recover from the Whitaker knockout. He comes out trying to be a different guy. So he wins four fights in a row by first-round knockout by being this wild man. You know, he loses to a guy better than him in Whitaker, and all of a sudden he abandons that style that got him all that success. And he fights scared against a 41-year-old. You know what I'm saying, Sean? And, well, and you're crying about that talk, decision? I, all, of that is, all of that is true, and I'm not going to defend that. I'm not going to say that he fought well. He didn't, but he, he won. 
is the issue. And the reason why this is different than home, like I'm trying to, when this first happened, I'm trying to think of robberies that I was mad about. And when I get mad about a robbery, it's because I don't want, I, I don't want the narrative that this fight was not a robbery to live on. I hate that. Uh, I Quinta versus Masvidal was the last time I got mad. Um, <laughs> Because that one was clearly a robbery. I was there live, and I watched it on TV. It looked like more of a robbery on TV than it looked live. So anybody who wasn't on the, that was a robbery, I just don't believe you. You know what I mean? Like, I don't believe you. I feel like you want it to be this way, and you know that it wasn't that way, but you're going to go with what you wanted instead. Uh, later on, there was Lozon versus Miller. I feel like that was a robbery, but I'm not going to bitch too much because I, I get it. I mean, uh, I was there home too. Versus, yeah, home versus De Rodami, like, um, I feel like that was 2-2 going in the last round and Holly won the last round, but I'm not going to say that's a robbery and I'm not going to get mad about it because I see what you're talking about if you think it went the other way. And that's without considering the point pulls at all, like just the fight itself. You know what I mean? With the point pulls, that's a different story. But the, the points getting pulled didn't happen. The, the thing with Anderson and Brunson is you expected a certain thing to happen, and then that thing didn't happen, so you think the wrong guy is winning because those things aren't happening. We talked about this Brunson, you know, does Brunson come out believing in Anderson's aura at all? Yeah, he did. And he came out and he fought like shit because of it. But he didn't fight that face-first style. He, he fought a more wrestling-centric style, even though his wrestling was not good. And the stats, which I usually hate, tell the tale in this fight. When nobody's getting hurt, all you have left to look at is stats. And Brunson threw twice as many and landed twice as many <laughs> and lar- landed the harder shots and got the only takedowns and had 90% of the cage control and had all of the top game. So while none of it is effective, while none of it is scary at all, he's the one who did it. It doesn't matter if you stuff a takedown. You don't win because you stuff the takedown. You want to not be on the cage. So when a person is holding you on the cage, despite it doing nothing, despite the rules being different now, you're still the guy who goes, damn, I wish I could get out of here, but you can't because the other guy's going, I'm not letting you out of here. So if you're better and you want to win that position and your goal is to get out, then go ahead and get out. Sean. Oh, you're not getting out? Okay, well, that's you losing. Usually, when I bet on someone, I assume the worst. You know, I always assume that I'm behind on the cards. You know, for example, when I bet on Alex White to beat Tony Martin, there's no, you know, before the scorecards were announced, there's no, you know, maybe I can get a bullshit decision. No, I lost that one for sure. There wasn't even a a chance in hell. After this one, I was kind of like, dude, we can so get a BS decision on this one. And I don't think it was half as bad no. as, uh, as uh, Diego versus Ross at all, man. No, it definitely wasn't. But in the room that you were talking in, you said, judges, please don't rob Anderson, which is insane. <laughs> that's flat earth shit. But come that on, that's, but right that's funny. Come on, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. <laughs> uh, I here's the thing when I score a fight that I that I'm betting on I a, a round that I don't really know who the round went to I score it for the other guy 
Um, That's what I'm saying. Scoring Sean. it that night, scoring it that night, I had it thirty twenty seven for Brunson. Watching it over and over again and trying my hardest to give a round to Anderson, I gave him the second. <laughs> that's it, man. That's it. It's, that's just a blatant robbery, and it is uh, Anderson fanboys who don't think it's a, a blatant robbery. That's it. And if you if you watch that fight, like we should have, so I could squash you while we're doing it, there's, there's <laughs> nothing to give him. There's nothing to give him. You can't. You have to sit there and go. Yes, this fight is horrible, and nobody's doing anything. But when it comes down to it, who's landing more? Who's controlling more? You know what I'm saying? It's not because you don't want Brunson to. Oh, you think Brunson should look a certain way, but he doesn't. That doesn't make him lose. He looked like shit, and he won. The both things are are possible, and it's you know, like I said, like Anderson tricked Brunson into fighting his fight. Doesn't that count and for then, something? Doesn't yes, the, the does. psychology in but there then, count for something? He, yes, it does, but it does not count more than punches. It does not count more than two times the amount of punches. It does not count more more than two takedowns. Two uh, even takedowns, takedowns that on. do nothing. And you you've you've tricked Derek Brunson into into fighting your fight. That's great. I didn't want him staring at Anderson at distance. That's dangerous. Turns out it wasn't dangerous because Anderson can't pull the trigger. But the problem is he tricked the judges into thinking he won that fight. He got Brunson to, to fight his fight. Then he lost the fight that he wanted. You know what I'm saying? Like it's making that fight happen is not getting a win. It's just not. He he clearly lost that fight. Clearly. Well, I feel your frustration, it's, my that's, friend. That's a straight up robbery. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But congrats on the win because that's all that counts, really. Yeah. The win. I just don't like. I don't want this fight to be remembered as like a, just a, uh, a a W in Anderson's column. You know what I'm saying? Like this one, like Ross and Diego, like situation needs to re- be remembered as a robbery. Yeah, but I mean, Anderson still managed to get his arm raised against the number eight guy on planet Earth, a guy who's in his prime right now, and that guy didn't fucking really do shit in there. Like, it was pretty even, like, you know? I mean, yeah, he landed a couple big shots in the clinch, like... It was not even. It was not even. He threw twice as many and landed twice as many. He got two takedowns to none. He had 90% of the cage control and all of top control. That is not even. If you threw in, Anderson hurt him, then we're talking. Then we're going, Brunson did a lot of nothing and got rocked. Now that changes things. He was not rocked. He was fine. Nothing happened in that fight. So when nothing happens, you go to the guy who worked more. It doesn't matter if you worked more going back or worked more going forward. Nobody landed really hard shots. The only hard shots were really a couple shots by Brunson in the third round and that one clinch exchange where he held his head and bombed the most solid 15 times. That was it, man. That was it. If, if nobody gets hurt, it's just simply just stats. It's just who piled up more. Who, nobody did shit. Who did more shit? That's it. And it, nobody did anything, but one guy did way more. Let me ask you this. When you were watching the fight live, Sean, 
right before the uh, the decision was announced. I mean, did you have without a shadow of a doubt that Brunson was going to win, or did you have a little bit, you know, a little thought in the back of your mind that you know maybe this was close en- close enough to go to Anderson? I was mad that there was twenty nine twenty eights coming out. I was like, "Oh, you motherfucker!" And then as soon as they read off the thirty twenty seven, I was like, "Whew!" You know, what I mean, <laughs> I breathed a big sigh of relief. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, thirty twenty seven! Oh, fucking thank God somebody's thinking correctly." Then the thirty twenty seven was the other direction. You're fucking kidding me. The Earth is round. The Earth is round, judges. It's not fucking flat. I don't know what you guys love Anderson. You, I don't know what you were watching. I don't know what you were watching. You were so happy he didn't get knocked out that you decided he won. <laughs> you crazy fucks. <laughs> You're fucking out of your mind. Man. That, far, that fight is not close. That fight is not close. We were it's, all- just a, it's just a fight where nothing happened. I understand that, but that doesn't make it close. We were all fans of Anderson Silva, including Derek Brunson. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, he was, dude. He came out. We talked about that. I was like, does he still think he's he's fighting Anderson Silva? Let's hope not, because if he stands out there, he's going to get knocked out. And then I saw him standing out there. I was like, you're too fucking hesitant. Your your takedowns are coming from too far away. But yet, when it came down to it, when it came down to trades, he was safe in the clinch. He landed more in the clinch. I'm waiting for him to get need. He never got need. I'm waiting for him to get hard countered. It didn't happen. You know what I mean? I'm waiting for Anderson to flurry. He didn't. You know? He's just, just gun-shy as a motherfucker, just, just out there doing nothing. And, and Derek Brunson should have just went into old Derek Brunson mode right there. He would have just knocked him out. He would have knocked him out. You know? The only thing that I was wrong about in this fight was, was Anderson's chin. Really didn't think that Anderson could have uh, taken a couple that he did. Yeah, but you know what? Surprising. At the same time, those clinch punches, it was uh, you know, kind of not against the cage. And when Brunson knocks dudes out, he's usually blitzing them. So it wasn't those same knockout blows that you know got him on that four-fight win streak. It was kind of a, a different kind of thing. He was trying to beat Anderson in the clinch, which I thought was kind of interesting, and I'll give him props for that. But once again, man, I mean, wouldn't you expect such a more dominant performance from a guy like Brunson? And I get what you're saying. Just because we expected more doesn't mean that Anderson won the fight. I I agree, and I feel your frustration, man. But, you know. Yeah, I I thought he should have done, you know, he was shit. Yeah, it is what it is, man. At the end of that fight, I thought that there was definitely a chance for the controversial decision. And uh, the controversial decision happened, man. So you got to take the win where you can. You know what I mean? Yeah, six six point six unit swing for me. I don't like that. I don't like six point six unit. I don't mind being wrong. I don't like being right and then losing. I I can't stand that. So six point six on a on uh. It is. Yuck. It happens to the best of us, man. I mean, there's so many times where you could say. If this happened or that happened, I mean, if Poirier won inside the distance, if Holly would have, you know, won that decision, whatever, you know, we move on, and we're moving on to UFC yeah, Halifax. When I score a fight, I I have like a little like a meter in my head, you know, and the meter starts in the middle, and every time somebody does something, 
the meter kind of tilts their way a little bit. You know what I'm saying? And depending on what happens, it tilts, it tilts, it tilts. And then I kind of keep track of that in my head. And at the end of the round, I see where the meter is, and that's who won the round. That's how I do it. Anderson just never never pushed that meter his direction. Or when he did, it wasn't for long. So we should just sum this up. I should just say, Daniel, I hate you for improperly scoring that. <laughs> um, and anybody out there listening who scored it for Anderson, I hate you. And I also think you're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. This I've, is I've, all for entertainment purposes, of course. <laughs> I feel for you, my friend. Much love. And uh, real quick, if Anderson is to take another fight, and if George St. Pierre is truly coming back, you know, we've been hearing he's coming back since 2013. If he's truly coming back, I mean, come on, Anderson versus GSP. That's the only fight to make. I mean, it should have been done a million years ago, but better late than never. There is no person in the UFC with a name right now that is better to fight when you're rusty than Anderson. Because he basically is going to absolutely give you long chunks of time that are going to let you feel comfortable. If you don't react to stupid hand bullshit that he does and, and you don't worry about it or you take him down and stay on top, you're going to GSP in this case is who we're talking about. Like GSP would have plenty of time to feel back to normal and, and to feel like GSP and to get his wits about him and to shake some rust off and then really get into a fight with him. So, you know, if GSP's coming back, he should be asking for Anderson. He should be asking for somebody who's almost going to guarantee inactivity. I mean, at what weight class, firstly? And also, when you consider that a guy like Brunson could barely take down Anderson Silva, I know GSP's blast double is on a different level, but I mean, Brunson's a way bigger guy, and he's still a D2 wrestler. And with GSP's rust, I mean... What if Anderson stuffs some takedowns and they stay standing? Is it going to be a very gunshot I, I mean, jab battle? You know, I, I I would take GSP's if that was the case. I would take GSP's jab. Yes, um, I so, would take. So you're GSP's on the fade Anderson Silva every combo. single fight train. Oh yeah, yeah. That'll never end until the inevitable ending when he winds up stiff. <laughs> then it'll end. Until then, it's not, it's not ending. What I expected to see out of him is what I saw. That's another reason to be mad about this fight. So, and then as far as the takedown goes, you know, stupid Derek Brunson with his fucking, you know, he needs to muscle everybody into everything. We know that GSP doesn't do those. He's not into forcing you to do things. He's just waiting for that that one second where he completely takes you off your feet and you didn't know it was happening. So I don't, I don't think the takedown is going to be a problem. And, then, you know, we're also guessing, I'll say this is the version that lost but didn't lose to Hendricks, that guy. You know what I'm saying? Not great. Got beat up in that fight. You know what I'm saying? Not great. But that guy, uh, even at 85, yeah, he, he uh, lays on top of Anderson and probably beats him up. Is he going to look the same? I mean, a lot's changed in the sport since the last time GSB fought. The last time he fought was against Hendricks. Don't forget that. Remember how Hendricks looked in that yeah. fight as well. Yeah. I, You know, it's tough to say. I feel like GSP is the kind of guy who's not going to force it. And you know what I'm saying? It's not like a BJ. 
type situation. He's like not if GSP force comes a back, it's because yeah, like if GSP comes back, it's because you can fight still. I believe in that camp. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I uh, I think if he comes back, he's he's going to be well rested and he's going to be okay. I don't know, but man. Who knows if he ever gets past that level of what we saw against Hendricks. That just might be what he is now, you know? I mean, I got all the respect in the world for GSP, but you know how it goes with these legends. I mean, you remember how incredible Anderson Silva was. Look at him now. You know, with GSP, I mean, he retired in 2013 for a reason. I mean, he was one of the most dominant champions in UFC history. So, to come back, I mean... You know, is he is he well rested? I mean, Joe Rogan was talking about how there was, you know, the the strike count, the accumulation of all the strikes he's taken throughout his UFC career. It was something pretty high, man. It was something kind of ridiculous. You know what I mean? The dude's talking about aliens and shit, <laughs> like, uh, you know. Uh, so yeah. I hope it's he's only a weirdo. legendary fights. You know, him versus Silva. I don't. I'm not really interested in seeing him fight Tyron Woodley. I, I think that would end badly for him. And you know, I I, I, I do too. I yeah. respect GSP. It's GSP, man. It's motherfucking GSP. Best welterweight of all time. You know, more title defenses than Matt Hughes. Beat Matt Hughes twice. What else is there to say, man? So and beat every, basically all the top guys of this generation. You know, or maybe, you know. Not quite this generation, not the Robbie Lawlers and the Tyron Woodleys, but he beat the Carlos Condits and the Nick Diaz's, you know what I mean? And the Koscheks, yeah. he beat that generation. He beat the Hughes, the Sarahs, and the BJ Pens. So, I mean, the dude literally beat a couple different generations uh, in the eras of the UFC. That's uh, that's quite admirable. Yeah, and he beat most of them easily, you know? He really He's did. got something left. Like, it wasn't... He's got something left. I'm I'm interested to see what he does, but, like... Don't put him in there against somebody who's going to try to take his fucking head off in the first minute. Anderson Silva oh, no. would be perfect. Don't give him George Masvidal. Give him Anderson Silva in a five-round fight, main event. You know, it's time, man. It's time for that. Yeah, I like it. Let's do it. Awesome. Well, let's start the show. Three, two, one. But Welcome back to After Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy. Your co-host, Sean Carey Tattoo. And Sean... UFC Halifax this Sunday, the Black Beast versus Travis Brown. And uh, Travis doesn't have Edmund in his corner for this fight, apparently. Word on the street, Sean. You know, the, not having Edmund in your corner is probably really good for you, but it's horrible for us because, I mean, he just drops comedy bombshell after comedy bombshell. I really like listening to him, and I was looking forward to you know, him getting into a semi-scuffle with Derek Lewis after the fight, but I guess we're not going to get to see that. Oh, man. You know, when you go on UFC Fight Pass and you watch uh, the pay-per-view events and you go to a, tra a Travis Brown fight and you listen to that corner audio, I mean, the, the Wardoom fight was just 15 straight minutes of uh, the, most, the most comedic experience of your life. I mean, and then he's losing his voice, and it, it was just great. I mean... And then you can do whatever you want. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was. Uh, yeah. It was. You can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. So terrible, man. It's so terrible, dude. And you, you had the funniest tweet. I don't remember the exact wording, but uh, pretty much about how you, you remember how 
Edmund was trying to fight Fabricio Wardoom, and then Travis Brown did nothing yeah. the entire time. Travis Brown started bouncing around. <laughs> yeah. And then afterwards. Was, so watch out. Travis Brown is getting ready to do nothing to you again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's yeah. just he starts bouncing around like he just bounced around for 15 minutes and got his ass kicked and then that starts and he's like oh let me start bouncing again <laughs> i'm not gonna do anything but don't break my fingers <laughs> fucking asshole oh yeah whatever which again a lot of people forget about because you know people are like he went the distance with war doom twice and it's like no nah, actually he got first round tko'd in the last one because if you quit for any reason in that you know, in that first round or any round, and it's not a tap. It's a that what, was it. Wait, was that a verbal submission or was that a TKO? I believe it was a TKO, right? You you know what I'm talking about right. with the broken yeah. finger and then where yes. Doom swarmed him. It should have been stopped right there. Yes, that's the that's the right thing to do. But the ref was too slow. You know what I mean? So that's not really Travis Brown's fault. But I don't know what you're thinking of going. Oh, I'm not uh, blaming Travis Brown at all. I need a timeout. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not blaming Travis Brown. I'm just saying that happened. He got TKO'd in the first round. Oh yeah, that fight. happened. And he, he lost a decision. You know, it's kind of interesting when you you know lose a decision and get knocked out in the same fight. Kind of like a, you know, a lot of people think that Anderson Silva knocked out Michael Bisping and won a decision. You know, for us, we took that plus two fifty. But uh, you know, Anderson's like. I went to England, I won by knockout and by decision, and they found a way to rob me. Yeah, no. And, you know, him climbing on the cage was the story of that. That's the real story there. <laughs> like, you did land that You did land that knee. Let's not jump to conclusions and not think that if there was time left that Michael Bisping couldn't have survived. In fact, he did survive. Uh, the dummy was looking the wrong way when he got kneed in the face. But Anderson climbing up on the cage and not getting off of there even and, and acting like he doesn't understand that the ref is telling him that the fight is not over, that's bullshit. We, knew, we know what he was thinking right there. He's like, no, I'm going to stay up here until the fight is over. Oh, that shit don't work. And then M- Michael Bisping beats you the next round, which is fucking super lame is what that is. Remember when uh, Rusimar Pagliares did that against Dan Miller? He head kicks him. He doesn't do any follow-ups. Then he jumps up on the fence and starts celebrating. And Herb, yeah. Herb Dean's like, uh, cut, cut. You know what I mean? Like, get down, get yeah. down, dude. Like, you know what I'm saying? That was a uh, Yeah, similar. even he listened. You know what I mean? What was that? I said even, even Paul Harris listened. You know what I mean? Like, even Paul Harris was like, oh. But not Anderson. Anderson's like, nope. I say I won, so I won. But you know that mentality kind of also, you know, it's it's been one thing that's been going through his entire career. He's always been a very confident fighter, and the way he was able to sway the judges and Derek Brunson, well, Derek Brunson doesn't believe he won, but he swayed Derek, Derek Brunson into uh, fighting his game plan, and he swayed the judges into scoring the fight for him. You know, is that confidence that, you know, we're talking about, you know, staying on the cage, acting as if you won, that arrogance, that bravado, you know, because a lot of times with these strikers, when they get really tired, they'll start to do really cocky shit to mask the fact that they're tired. That's their version of a poker face. So, you know, to to the casual eye, it's kind of like, man, you know, you know, he's about to do some, some really crazy shit. But if you know what you're watching, you know that that's a gassed out dude who is masking the fact that he's gassed out by doing that really cocky shit that a lot of us find entertaining. You know what I'm referring to, Sean? Sean Carey? 
but so, I understand what you're saying. So basically, tell me your opinion on when when you know really flashy strikers when they mask the fact that they're gassed out by doing really cocky shit that you know we find entertaining the casual eye finds entertaining but really they're just masking the fact that they're gassed and he's done it throughout his yeah. career but now he's kind of you know <laughs> you know not in his prime anymore so it's it's kind of worse but he still carries that over and still swayed the judges so yeah talk about your opinion on that yeah you know Anderson Silva we've seen him do that a ton the, the issue is there's a very short window for doing that and, and making it believable. Because in the in the latest fight, or the Maya fight, the, I get those two confused. I'm not quite sure which one it was. But, I mean, the entire crowd was like, what the, what the fuck are you doing? You're, you're not doing anything fancy right now. You're, you're just simply refusing to engage. You know what I'm saying? And, like, nobody, nobody believed that. And, and I think in those situations, like, think of all the times that Bisbing had his back on, on the cage and Anderson was like, go ahead, I'll let you hit me. But, but Bisbing wouldn't. That was perceived as Bisbing was being smart by not going right there. I agree. I don't think he was being smart by not going right there. I think he needed to go right there. I think that he wins that fight with volume, and that was just another place to stack up volume. It's just that, you know, Anderson Silva has done so much sneaky fight ending shit to people that you're that you're willing to believe that he can do some sneaky fight ending shit to you when he just really can't anymore hey you know yeah. what i i agree with your overall point but just to point back to the little thing you mentioned that in your opinion Bisbing should have followed up in that one instance of the fight where anderson was like come here and Bisbing was like nah dude I actually disagree with you, and the reason I'll say that is because there were many instances in that fight where Bisbing teed off on him against the cage, but in that one particular instance, I feel like it was Bisbing's way of saying, I'm not going to play your game, dude. You're going to play my fucking game. When I feel like attacking you against the cage, I'm going to attack you against the cage, and right now, you're trying to you know, do your Roy Jones shit. Come over here and fight me like a man, motherfucker. I feel like that's what Bisbing was saying over there. Yeah, I think that could I think that could be true too. But I think that right in that spot, had he had not thought that and he had decided to fire off a four piece combo instead, that two of them would have landed. You know I, what I mean? But I, I mean, can't dispute we'll, that. We'll never know. I can't dispute that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But maybe we can try to forecast some fights because Tiago Santos. You know, you know what his line is, Sean. You want to take a quick guess? Right now? Yeah, just t- don't even look. Take a guess. Last time I looked, it was minus 150, I think. I, I didn't ask what it was last time you looked. I'm asking, what's it right now? Tiago Santos. I'm looking at it. I want, I want to hear what you think. Well, I feel like you're saying that so it's lower than I think it is, so I'll say it's 120, minus 120. Sean, it's minus 170, Tiago Santos. It went back up? It's minus 170, Tiago Santos, minus 185 in DSI. And the comeback on Jack okay. Marshman is plus 160. I expected it to go the other way after the weight cut talk. You know, that's interesting because, you know, certain people said he got here a week early and, you know, feeling great ahead of schedule. And other people said their flight got delayed, their weight cut's all fucked up and blah, blah, blah. So which one is it? I mean, you can never fucking tell with these guys, but the story makes sense. You know what I'm saying? Like, the story of, like, why that happened seems believable. What, yeah. what are you referring you know what I mean? to? 
oh, I can't cut. I couldn't cut weight properly because the the snow, the plane, the fucking <laughs> couldn't get into here, couldn't get in there. I mean, I don't. Were you planning on cutting weight on the plane and in the airport? I guess I don't know. Like, That's I don't funny. know. It sounds it sounds fishy, but it seems like you know we always think that these guys. Oh, they're coming in with like a super pro camp that's not built that's built around them and shit. What ATT like is that. it? I mean, come yeah, on, we're like, talking about ten fight UFC veterans. They got saunas in the fucking hotels that they stay at. Uh, I mean, I'm not gonna sit here and talk shit. Tiago Santos has given us so many highlight reel knockouts. You know what I'm saying? So I hope I you, see I, a bunch of Brazilian guys hopping on a plane, never seeing snow before, being pretty taken aback by it, and then turning into a clusterfuck. That idea <laughs> is not out of out of range. You know what I mean? Like they're like, "What the fuck? What do you mean we can't go with? You know? Oh no, what am I gonna? Do? Oh, I ate too much on the plane. You know? Who knows? Yeah, I can see it getting fucked up. Sure, I expected the line to move because of that, but okay. Well, it's out of line you never bet. And you know what? With Tiago Santos, I mean, what's the one big thing he's known for? It's got to be that left that left kick. I mean, yeah. he's got a highlight reel of destroying guys with that kick to the body. I mean, we cringe when you hear the sound of that crack, that, that shin to the liver. And that head kick to Steve Bossy, I mean, that's one of those, not, that's one of those knockouts you show to people because, I mean... The fight just starts, and uh, he leg kicks him, he body kicks him, and then he head kicks him. And it's just one of the most devastating knockouts in UFC history. And I'll, yeah. I, I got to give so much credit to Steve Bossy because he came back. Not only did he come back, Sean, just to you know to have the balls to come back is one thing, but to go on and to win your next two fights, yeah. that, that's another thing. I got to give, give and he won a lot war. of credit. He won a war after that. That's crazy that he won a war after that. I thought he'd be ruined forever after that. And you know what? That brings another topic. That war you speak of was in Canada, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And a lot of us thought that the guy he was fighting, the real OC, might have won that fight. But, yeah, you know, so, you know, we got to pay attention to these judges in Canada. But anyways, dude, Tiago Santos, he's minus 170. Jack Martian is plus 160. Anytime you're fighting a guy like Tiago Santos... Yeah, I mean, you got to be on top of shit because, I mean, this guy kicks you to the liver. It does not matter who you are. No man on planet Earth can take the clean liver shot. Now, there are guys who, you know, who managed to escape unscathed in terms of the shot didn't land cleanly. Like with Eric Spicely, Tiago Santos landed the kick, but it wasn't as clean as in the fights where he knocked people out. So, you know, it's a matter of accuracy. But when he lands that thing accurately, and he has done that many times, he will put people down. Now, Jack Marshman, in the past, he has been put down. But, you know, when people when people were telling me, oh, don't bet him, he's been starched. And, you know, I go back and I watch his, those fights, you know, that fight with that guy, Abu, in particular. I mean, I, I kind of thought that was an early stoppage. I don't think he got starched. I think he was early in his career. He was 21, 22. He was learning his crap. He was figuring it out. I still think that, you know, in the core, he's the same kind of brawling fighter. Likes to go out there, throw his hands. He's durable. He gets hit a lot. And, you know, just because he's hittable doesn't mean he's going to lose this fight. If he gets knocked out, then he's going to lose this fight. It's a matter of can you predict Tiago Santos knocking out Jack Marshman, because I feel like in terms of if this turns if this turns into a battle of wills, 
A guy like Jack Marshman can win. And not only that, if Jack Marshman can get it into that boxing range, I feel like he's got a lot for Tiago Santos because Tiago really isn't known for putting people down with his hands. He's known for blasting those devastating kicks. But if you can get past that and it becomes a battle of who's a tougher guy, I do think that Jack Marshman can excel in a fight like that. And he's a lot more experienced than Tiago Santos. Not in the UFC. And I know the UFC experience counts for a lot more. But what I'm trying to say here is that it's not like Jack Marshman needs more seasoning or anything like that. You know, he's uh, starting to... Uh, you know, go to his prime. He's about 27 years old. He's got a 21 and five record. So, I mean, that shows me that he knows what the ups and downs are in this sport. And now he's ready to make a run. I mean, going in there against a guy like Magnus Seidenblad and putting that guy away. I don't care how ugly that fight was. If you can get your arm raised against a guy like Magnus Seidenblad in your UFC debut, no less. That's a statement in my eyes, Sean. And now Tiago Santos is another formidable, formidable opponent. And I can understand why people think that Tiago is going to catch Jack. But I think that Jack is going to win with his durability, with his pressure. I think he's going to find a way to catch Tiago Santos. And, you know, it's tough to bet against guys that have their backs against the walls because, you know, they got a statement to prove. But I think with Jack's style, he just... He, he has the style to break a guy like Tiago Santos. So as long as he doesn't get knocked out, I think he can go out there and either win a decision based on his grit or potentially knock out Tiago Santos with his hand. So I haven't taken a bet yet because I want to see uh, where this line goes, but my pick is Jack Marshman, Sean. Yeah, uh, all the things that you said uh, are valid. You know, I don't agree with them, but they're like, <laughs> I can't. Uh, it's, it's not like I'm like, oh, no, that's some made-up bullshit. No, everything you said is, is absolutely that's true. That's not that some flat-earth shit? Happen. <laughs> if, no, that is not flat-earth shit. That's, that's round-earth shit. <laughs> um, I, I, Marshman could do all the things that you're talking about. Marshman could not have to do any of those things to just catch Silva once or Santos once and get him out of there. That's absolutely possible. Um, but you're talking about can you predict? Here's why I believe that I can predict that, that Santos is going to knock Marshman out. Uh, Marshman is, is way too hittable. He just is. He's just sloppy. That's the truth. Uh, he doesn't seem to mind getting hit very much. He's never been hit by someone who he's about to like, like this. He's never been hit on the level that Santos can hit you. We've seen proof of that. As far as Santos being mentally weak, we've seen that, but we've seen him tough it out and pull out a win, too. Uh, you know, of course, against somebody light hitting, which is a different story, <laughs> but it's in there. It's in there somewhere. This is a different kind that. of fight, but, completely. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely a different kind of fight. But when it came down to it and he needed to fight and, and hit the extra gear, he did. Um, the thing here is, you know, as vulnerable as Santos is, especially with the chin issues, these guys are going to trade. I think they're going to trade at Santos's distance first. And if, and if Marshman can live through that distance and get closer, then it's a different story. But at that distance, he's too hittable. And he can't take one of those. He can't take a clean liver shot or a clean head shot. Can he take almost clean ones? Maybe. You know what I mean? But can he take a clean one? No, he can't. And Seedenblad was lighting him up on the feet. I think standing-wise, Seedenblad uh, is fucking terrible. I wouldn't go that far. He was, he was catching him. He was catching him nice. My point is, at the end of this is going to be, 
if Santos catches you back as clean as Seedenblad does did, that you're not making it through the Santos shots. You can make it through the Seedenblad shots. Um, he's too sloppy and he's too hittable. And I believe this is going to be a striking match. And even though all the downsides that you say about Santos are true and could get exploited, I don't think Marshman lives long enough to do that. So I have a bet, uh, a parlay with Santos in it. I think it was he was at minus 160 when I got it. Fair enough. I mean, it makes sense what you're saying about if Seed and Black can hit him, then, you know, Tiago Santos hitting him can put him down. But, you know, there's different things going on there with Seed and Black being a fucking six foot six dude and Tiago Santos being a southpaw. And there, there's so many different variables. It's such a different style matchup. But I agree. He's going to get hit a lot. And, you know, it's a matter of can he walk through it or not. You're saying he can't. I'm saying there's a chance that he can. There's there's also a chance he gets KO'd stiff, but if he doesn't KO, get KO'd stiff, let, let's talk about this. Let What if he doesn't get KO'd stiff? Because right now, I think he doesn't, you think he does, but let's say he doesn't. Can he, can he, can Tiago Santos still win this fight? Yes, but he's still in deep trouble at that point. If he catches Marshman hard and he doesn't, Marshman doesn't go anywhere, then it's a fucking problem. Then the fight instantly changes right there. And, and at that point, I, if that happens enough and Marshman's still standing, then I would probably just favor Marshman to, to get the Santos and knock him out at that point. You know what I mean? Like, the things you're saying are absolutely true. It's just one of these things is going to happen, I think, pretty like vehemently you know what i'm saying like like santos when he when he gets knocked out it's gonna look easy and ugly and if marshman if he wins it's gonna be like he weathers the storm and and santos just topples over and it's gonna look pretty simple that's you know it's gonna go one way or the other probably pr- pretty far and pretty quickly so yeah all the things that you're saying are are definitely legit it definitely has a chance of happening. It's just, man, of all the things, of all the fires in the, the matchups in the UFC where you have to walk through this storm to get to the guy to get him, but we know that the guy is gettable once you get there, there's not that many storms that are rougher than Santos's head kick, body kick, leg kick. You know what I mean? Like, there's not a lot of worse things to, to try to get through than that. It is top of the top of the heap, and we're not talking about his skills as a fighter being top of the heap. I'm just talking about those specific things landing on you. I I mean that head kick is is Rumble Johnson punch level, right? That's like top of the heap thing that you don't want to get hit with. It is up up there. You know, I mean whether he lands it or not is a different question, but surviving that when it lands. Mm, I don't think so. Yeah. We're going to find out. You know, I think it's a matter of literally being knocked out cold. I don't think it's a matter of toughness. I don't think it's a matter of one of those things where if he gets dropped, he's going to fold up. I think it's more so, is he going to get KO'd stiff? It's really like that to me, you know, because he strikes me as a super tough guy, Marshman. Yeah, to a fault. To a fault. And it, you can't you can't be tough when you don't know where you are. You know, what I mean, it just and there is that's a, the, you know there is a saying that uh, that tough gets knocked out. So yeah, there's 
no matter how tough you are, if you're disconnected from your body, it doesn't, you know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't matter at that point. Nothing you're, nothing you could do there. This is true. So, Sean, we got the chicks fighting. We got Carla Esparza. She's minus 265, and Randa Marcos is plus 245. Now, it's interesting because with Carla Esparza, she's never fought a wrestler before. She's known for her wrestling. She's very one-dimensional, and... You know what happens to a lot of one-dimensional fighters, Sean? It, it catches up to them. I mean, Hoist Gracie, Ronda Rousey. It, we see it all the time. Not that I'm comparing Carla Esparza to either of those. Even though she was the first strawweight champion, she's extremely one-dimensional. It is what it is. She is, you know, she she's a wrestler. Now, she has a very good wrestling background. But with Ronda Marcos, you know what her background is? She's an Iranian wrestler as well. And she's got stand-up, too. So, it, you know, the way I see this fight is Joanna Janjacek. I know she's the champion. I know she's a beast. I know she's unbelievable. But we both know Joanna Janjacek doesn't have a wrestling background, right? Like, right, Sean? She doesn't have a wrestling background. Like, this is true, right? That ain't Correct. some, some uh, yeah. flat earth shit. All right. Well, Joanna Janjacek stuffed like, you know, I don't know the stat. I don't have it. Like some fight metric shit right in front of me. I don't know the stat, but it was like what? She stuffed fifteen of sixteen takedowns, right? You know what I'm saying? Like it was that kind of fight. And she's got They were fear takedowns too. You know what I'm saying? They were yeah. like they were like, I'm gonna run across the shade the the whole cage <laughs> like Brendan Schaub and try to take you down type situation. It was like a Bader versus Rumble type takedowns towards the end there. Man, it was, it was desperation and uh, you know, I feel like fighters don't come back the same from beatings like that. And well, anyways, l before I talk about that, what what I was getting to initially was that so a non wrestler is stuffing your takedowns. Now with Randa, even though her wrestling background isn't as good as Carlos, she's still got a wrestling background. She she's an Iranian wrestler. I mean, those Iranians can fucking wrestle. I'll tell you that right here, right now. Like, there's no bullshit about that. So she's got that going for her, and I know her hands are better too. So and she's in Canada, so I don't see why she's plus two forty five. Look, I know it's a chick fight. I know she could find a way to fuck it up. Like it is what it is. But you know, at this price. I got to take that one unit shot. And then the other thing that I wanted to talk about was how, you know, you don't come back from certain beatings, you know, you just don't. And uh, from that Joanna Janjacek beating that Carlos Barza had, you know, I was at her, subsequ uh, her subsequent fight with Juliana Lima and it, dude, it, it was ugly, bro. It, it was really fucking bad. And I really feel like if Juliana, you know, could stuff a takedown, she would have won the fight easily, you know? And, I mean, she still ended the fight in side control, but she gave up too many takedowns and spent too much time on her back that she lost the fight. So, but Juliana Lima is known for her Muay Thai background. Random Marcos has the wrestling background. So, while I'm not saying that Random Marcos is going to go out there and out-wrestle Carla Esparza, why can't she stuff the takedowns and keep it standing? That's what I want to know. And at plus... I believe plus 240. Currently it's plus 245. So it got even better. But at the plus 240 that I got it at, I mean, why not take the one unit shot and find out if she can stuff these takedowns, keep the fight standing, piece up a person that does not 
want anything to do with the stand-up department of the fight. And we're in Canada, too, with these judges. Why can't we get this split decision? And, I mean, I mean, why can't we win outright and win the fucking unanimous decision, Sean? I think that you can't because I don't think Marcus, Marcos's takedown defense is good enough. I think as far as it sticks on her and eventually takes her down and, and spends most of the, each round on top, uh, probably doing nothing. Um, but that's how I see this fight going. That's why I'm not betting on uh, Marcos, but I definitely can't shit on the idea of what you said. Like that's definitely round earth. Like that can actually absolutely happen. I think you're right that the fight was taken out of Esparza uh, by JJ. That's definitely believable. I just don't trust Marcos's takedown defense enough to go all the way over to that side, even though that price is awfully attractive. I mean, well, that's why it's not a big play. Unlike these chicks. But for a small shot, I mean, I think think it's worth it for a small shot. Obviously, the saying goes, there's no... There's no value in a losing bet, but at the same time, you got to take a risk from now, you know, every now and then. And I think this is a good opportunity to do that because, you know, some, yeah, something I that, agree. something that I learned from Sean Carey is that you don't know, you know, if you wait too long for these people to fall off the cliff, you're gonna miss your opportunity. So you got to do it that one That's time right. before everyone expects it to happen. So. First rate, right. we can make the argument it already happened in the Joanna Young-Jacek fight, but if you want to put that aside and say, look, Joanna's such a beast that, okay, I can accept that. So why can't this be that moment, man? It can be. And I, I hope that you look back and you go, yep, that was the fucking moment, and then you, nobody's ever going to get a plus 250 on a Carla Esparza opponent ever again. Well, I, that's tough to say in this division, actually, but... <laughs> Yes, and, I think you're right. I think if you're gonna if you're gonna jump the gun because you think you know something, this is the perfect time to do it because you've got a Canadian in Canada uh, who has a chance of winning the fight standing, who has a chance of of you know standing up for enough of the round to pull out a Canada Canada decision. All that shit is possible, and uh, you know this could this could absolutely be the moment. I just. Uh, Mark, Marcos's takedown defense is, is is the sticking point for me. I mean, I don't blame you, dude. And, you know, if I have to take an L here, I'll take the L like a man. It's no big deal. But I do think that this is a, a good spot to take that shot. And I wanted to address one more thing because I know a lot of people are talking about And let me about just say real quick before you do that, I did bet the over in this fight. Probably <laughs> something else. Nice. But, you know, I know a lot of people are talking about how Oh, Courtney Casey went in there and armbarred uh, Random Marcos. But, like, this is a completely different fight. I mean, Courtney Casey is a big chick. I mean, Carla Sparza's tiny. They got completely different styles. So I don't really view that as evidence that Carla's going to do the yeah. same thing. But you know, Does anybody does anybody believe that Esparza's that going to be going for a finish here? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that doesn't... If anyone's going for a finish, it's Randa. I'll tell you that right now. That's that's right. Yeah, I don't I don't see Esparza working for a finish, even if she's on top three minutes out of every round. I don't I don't see her going for it. Yeah. So I mean, hopefully she doesn't let me down. Hopefully she's hungry and makes the most of this opportunity. Because I mean, well, they cut Nikita Krilov, but Carla Esparza, 
You know, we still get to watch her. Yeah, fight. she's good. She can stay. Yep, <laughs> yep. Fucking assholes. A, a, a minus on Ugh. on my uh, on my grade, Sean. But anyways, man, Santiago Ponzinibbio, he's minus three sixty, and Nordin Taleb is plus three twenty five. Now, real quick, before we break down this matchup. I took a one-unit shot on Nordin Taleb at plus 260. I thought that was the cap that it was going to get at. Now, I know a lot of people think that's crazy, and I can completely understand why they think that's crazy. But let me explain why, in my opinion, it's not. Because, firstly, we can agree that, you know, to an extent he looked amazing against Court McGee and Zach Cummings in his last two fights, but we can also agree... But did he look, am- did he look amazing against against court mcgee though oh hold on i'm gonna get to it don't worry so we can agree how about this that the finishes of court mcgee and the perseverance uh you know of santiago ponzinibbio and the zach cummings fight were very uh were very impressive in my opinion and uh you know that that's true but we can also agree that court mcgee and zach cummings they're not known for their striking. They're known for their grinding abilities. So, you know, props to Santiago for being able to go out there and be tough, tough nosed grinders like that. With Nordin Taleb, it's a completely different story because with when you were fighting a guy like Court McGee and you were getting tagged that entire round until you stuffed the takedown and landed the one punch that ended the fight. I mean, I feel like if a guy that's not a striker is tagging you like that. What's going to happen when a real striker gets in there with you? And even though Nordin Taleb is safe and he does the TriStar style, I feel like he's coming into his own a little bit. I feel like now he might be in his prime, and they do say styles make fights for a reason. And, you know, I, I feel like he could counter Santiago Ponzinibbio. Obviously, we got to look out for those straight, clean punches that Santiago brings, brings to the table. I mean, he's a... He's an animal, and his get-up game got so much better, but I think we can counter him, man. You know, for plus 325 or the plus 260 I got, I had to take that shot as well, Sean. I took that shot as well for one unit. I <clears throat> Studying this fight, I'm, I'm kind of leaning Ponzinibbio, but I am unsure because I feel like Taleb has ways to win. And seeing certain things, been waiting for the line, and, and the line was... At, when it hit the 250 zone, I was like, no, I got to go the other way. Um, you know, obviously there's a ton of dangers for Taleb. Taleb, no matter how good he looked in his last fight, he still has the problems that he has when he looked bad in his older fight. Those are still there. You know what I'm saying? He's still kind of goofy. But if you look at it, was he working out that TriStar style game at that point? Was he figuring out how to, how to bait you into the things that he wanted to do at that point? Because those things uncovered and not sneaky with no veterany little twists on them are not that effective. But if you're going to faint and faint and faint and faint and jab and leg kick and faint and faint and faint and jab and right hand, if you're going to do that and you land enough of the jabs, and you get the person reaching enough, then it starts to work. And that takes some maturity, and it takes some confidence. And what I saw out of him versus Eric Silva was maturity and confidence. And if he goes out there and works a similar game, we now don't, don't make any mistakes about it. Anything less than that Eric Silva version of him, we're fucked. You know what I'm saying? We need that guy or better. 
and there has been a lay, uh, an injury and there has been a layoff, so it's even a little riskier at that point. But there has been an injury and a layoff, but yeah. he's also been putting in work at Tiger Muay Thai, which is important to mention because you know he's sharpening the exact tools he needs for a fight against a guy like Santiago Ponzinibbio. But when you look yeah. at how hittable Santiago is, and now we're going in there with a calculated striker, a guy that isn't going to really take any unnecessary risks, but is going to do what it takes to win and is coming into his own, this could be a roadblock for Santiago. But at the same time, if Santiago goes in there and just blows through him, that's not going to surprise me either because, look, when I was watching the tape, the, the only bad things I could say is that the dude is fucking getting hit by everything and eventually it, he's going to get put down. It is what it is. You know, if you're that hittable, you're going to get put down. And he could also be kept at bay for a better striker. Because The reason I say that is because the end game for Zach Cummings and Court McGee was to take down Ponzinibbio, whereas the end game for Nordin Taleb is to either knock him out or to counter-strike him for three rounds. So I do think he could be kept at bay for three rounds. Now, let's say it goes to a close decision. Once again, we are in Canada, so we do have that going for us. So you sure. know, hopefully we get a, a nice right. controversial split decision here. You know, the other things with <clears throat> the other big differences between the last two fights you mentioned in this fight is, you know, Ponzinibbio, when you watch him, perhaps the Larkin fight, even though he was doing well early in the Larkin fight, he, when he is leading, he kind of, he's like a guy who lives out of his means. Like he makes a million dollars a month, but his, his mortgage is a million dollars a month. And you feel like you're one, you're one fuck up from coming short on your mortgage. You know what I'm saying? Like he's always at the top of that level where he's like, he's putting out maximum output. And, and if that maximum output doesn't go well, then you're going to get in trouble. I feel like, Taleb can slow this down and not lead and back up and then make Ponzinibbio make mistakes. And as far as straight punches go in this fight, I'd say that Ponzinibbio is the one who's, who's open for straight down the pipe, hard shots, especially on the way in. So I'd love to see Taleb fainting and retreating and then stopping short encountering when Ponzinibbio comes after him, which Ponzinibbio will absolutely do. That kind of situation is good. In any of those exchanges, Ponzinibbio could land something that takes Taleb out. That's why it's dangerous. But, uh, you know, at plus 250 range, or whatever the fuck it is now, which is even better, I got to do it. I got to do it. One unit only, but got to do it. I mean, plus 325, man, like, talk about getting carried, right? I would like to put more, but I, I am not, because I only looked at this fight as a one-unit bet. I, I'm going to stay there. I'm with you on that 100%, man. So, dude, Paul Felder, he's minus 400, and Alessandro Ricci is plus 355. Now, when this fight first got announced, you know, I thought that this was kind of like, you know, the UFC's version of John Alessio or Carlo Prater being brought in to lose. But the more I think about it, it's like, you know, I love Paul Felder. That fight against 
Castillo and that fight against Barboza were amazing, but how many times has he let you down, Sean? No, you know, I don't bet on him because he's a goddamn dummy. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I hate Paul Felder. Not, you know, obviously not as a person, but he does a ton of things that I cannot stand. Uh, getting hit and shaking your head and waving come on, I hate that. What you got to do once you get hit, instead of doing that, is just go ahead and hit the other guy back. How many times have we seen Paul Felder get nailed with something, then shake his head like it didn't do anything, then wave the guy on, and then get hit immediately after waving? I, it's the worst thing that you can do. You're, you're giving away the fight. Every tough face that you make in there, instead of actually taking an action, you're giving the fight away. And you're fighting this guy now, while not great, but a semi-technical, sort of slick striker with maybe a little bit more volume than you. You know what I'm saying? If it eases into that fight and it's close and the times that, that Felder nods his head and waves come on or makes a mean face after he's hit, don't be surprised if those moments Ricci gets off again and when you look back at a 29-28 for Ricci, those will be the fucking culprits. Those moments are the culprits. Those Felder moments where instead of attacking and getting the points back, he does something weird instead. He shakes his arms out and, and stomps his feet instead. It's a very strange thing to do, but this guy has straight up lost fights because he did it. Uh, he's not going to just all of a sudden stop losing fights because he does that. Is, is Ricci on the level to do that? Ah, fuck. I don't know. I'm not betting this one because I can't tell. But don't be surprised if Felder just dummies his way out of this one and gets caught. He's plus 355, so, I mean, you going to take that shot on uh, Ricci? I mean, all the things that I said combined with the Canada thing, of like, you know, there's there's worse shots to take. There's worse shots to take on this card. It's not it's not fucking terrible. That's a tout master pick for me, but like I'm just betting every dog that I remotely like in tout tout master this year, so that's a different story, but like I don't you know, Felder is gonna show up in this Felder fight. That's what he does. That's what he does. He's gonna dummy his way out of some situations. Even if he's winning this fight. I bet you there's going to be times where you're like, God damn it, Paul Felder, you could have taken him out, but you did something else instead. You know, don't be surprised that doesn't happen. Every win that this guy has is life and death. And then every guy that he's supposed to beat, beats him. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's not good. It's not good. I, I don't know what his deal is, but it's mental, whatever it is. Why doesn't he look the same as the guy that fought Danny Castillo and Edson Barbosa and also... Why is he habitually hopping gyms? I mean, he was at uh, at Jackson's. He was at the cow, you know, the Cowboys Ranch. He was in Philadelphia at Henzo Gracie's. I'm not Henzo Gracie's. At one of the other Gracie's, he was with Mark Henry in New Jersey, and now he's in Rufus Sport. So I mean, what's up with that, man? You know, you know, he's looking for a reason uh, why the things that are happening to him happen. And he's looking everywhere except for the mirror. It's all him. It's no camp. Until he goes to camp that specializes in making you not nod your head and stomp your feet, he's going to have this fucking problem. You know, but that camp doesn't exist. The problem is him. 
And as far as like, if you can look at a fighter fight in the cage, the most, you know, the biggest truth machine that there is, when you're really going to see what somebody's about, you see what his attitude is like. Would it be crazy if that attitude bleeds into his normal life and nobody can stand him? And that's why he's switching camps all the time. That's not a crazy assumption to make, especially since it's happening. You know what I mean? So yeah, I, it's, it's a mental, it's a mental fucking problem. The guy seems to have a ton of talent and a ton of skill and he's tough and he's sharp, but it's just those times, those brain fart moments. It's just, it hasn't stopped since he's been in the UFC. I don't see why it stops on Sunday. Sarah McMahon is minus 600 and Gina Mazzani is plus 450. So, uh, is Sarah McMahon going to find a way to lose here, or is this uh, smooth sailing? No, the the angle on this fight is, do you take the under or the over? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a fucking tough under to take because of who, the people you're dealing with here. But uh, Under one and a half or uh, under two and a half? It's two and a half. But, like, you... You know, when you're measuring gaps in fights, I mean, the the wrestling gap here is fucking absurd, and there's no denying that. It's just, does McMahon have the willpower and the want to end this? And is Mazzani or whatever the fuck her name bad enough to let that happen? Uh, does she mount any kind of offense or resistance? And what does that do to McMahon? It's tough to, it's tough to say. So I'm going to stay away from this one. But uh, when you're diagnosing this one, obviously this wrestling gap is humongous. Man, Sean knows more about women's MMA than I thought. Yeah, yeah. I look at all of them looking for a bet so I, and watch them all, unfortunately. But, you know, I still think the things that I think. <laughs> I'd still rather see some unheralded guy from Russia instead of fight, but oh well. You'd still rather see uh, Nikita Krylov than, uh, you know, Esparza? Yeah, I'd rather see... I'd rather see Fly Madoff, who we finally get to fucking see. I'd rather see Fly Madoff uh, three years ago instead of three years of girl fights. Man, what they're doing to us, man. What it takes to be a UFC fan these days, right? Yeah, man. They just As soon as you like somebody, they might just cut them for no reason. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of... Uh... That chopping block, man. We got Gavin Tucker. He's minus 165. And Sam Cecilia is plus 145. Now, Sean, you know I always look to fade Sam Cecilia, but I ain't about to play this new guy, minus 165, in that UFC debut. And, you know, he's only fought very inexperienced guys. But at the same time, Sean, he's looked good against those unexperienced guys. And that's the kind of sign that you need when a guy's coming into the big show. Especially against a guy like like Sam Cecilia, you know, we like to talk about that. Winners find a way to win, and losers find a way to lose. You know, long term, right? Because everyone wins and loses, right? But long term, winners find a way to win, losers losers find a way to lose. And the reason that I always fade Sam Cecilia is because he's one of those guys like Pat Barry. You know, he's yeah, he's super exciting. I agree. But he finds a way to lose long term. So you have to bet against a guy like that. But at minus 165, you know, this new guy I, that I'm, I don't know much about. I wish I knew more about him going in because 
if he's like the next Thomas Almeida or something, I'm going to feel like an idiot for not betting this. But oh, I, I really don't not. know don't enough about him to, you know, to make a claim like that. And he's fighting yeah. Sam Cecilia. So there is the chance that he gets caught with a big haymaker or there is the chance he gets grinded out kind of like that Aaron Phillips fight. But I got to go with Gavin Tucker here, man, because I always pick against Sam Cecilia just like you always pick against Anderson Silva. Well, I was, I was, you know, a friend of mine on Twitter pointed me at a certain couple of things about Tucker. Then I go look at him and, and they're all true. Here's the, here's the thing about Tucker. Um, well, first of all, here's the thing about this fight. It, Sam Cecilia, not good. Uh, striking, uh, hits hard, tries hard, uh, defense, not good. Um, you know, his brains in there, definitely not good. Uh, his wrestling, although he seems to have the background of a wrestler and has showed flashes of understanding wrestling, for the most part, his defensive and offensive wrestling, not so good. Uh, but kind of a veterany guy at this at this point, a guy who's going to try to knock you out. Uh, Tucker, on the other hand, looks to be, you know, a, a solid wrestler, looks to have some sharp punches, looks to carry some power, but you don't really know because he hasn't been fighting anybody. That's the thing about this fight is the gap, the huge gap is in quality of opposition. Sam Cecilia fought some pretty decent guys. Uh, Gavin Tucker has fought no guys. Look at the records of the guys that he's fought. He's got one recognizable name on there who's recognizable for being a stepping stone to other people who have gotten to the UFC and lost in one of their first two fights. Um, yeah, but Sean, the guy has fought twice. He could, so, st- he go could still be good. He could still be good. I mean, Thomas Almeida yeah, was, was beating a bunch be of bombs before he got in there. And, and Thomas Almeida is young, very young, and Gavin Tucker is not. And Gavin Tucker is like, what are we saying? Like how years. old? How old are we talking? Tucker, I yeah. believe he's thirty or he's thirty-one. Inter- so where you interesting. been? Dude? Interesting, interesting. You know what I'm saying? So Thomas Al- Thomas Almeida is, is seeping into the UFC when he's fucking fourteen yeah, or exactly. something ridiculous <laughs> like that. Like he's twenty. He was like literally twenty-one, I believe, or twenty. Uh, this guy's floating around and not making it until he's thirty. Why? You've got two fights in four years. Why? Why really? Like, if, you're a, if you have the possibility of a hot prospect and you want to move and you want to fight and you want to get in the UFC, uh, what is the failure in getting fights? It's your team? Okay, well, your team kind of equates to your camp. What is going on? Why are you injured so much? You know, there's a lot of question marks here. And and the fact is, whatever you think about him, you don't really fucking know. And if he comes out and barnstorms Sam Cecilia and gets him the fuck out of there, you still don't really know because it's Sam Cecilia. But at this point, at plus 135, Sam Cecilia has made it into my round robin because when I watch this Tucker kid, uh, the questions pile up too much. I am not a believer. Uh I, I think that Sam Cecilia will will stop the wrestling, and I think he can he can land the bigger shots. So we like Sam Cecilia here. We meaning me. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Well, best of luck, man, because I'm definitely not betting on Gavin Tucker, but you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens, man. Cesar Mutanch. He's 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 minus one twenty, and Elias Theodore is plus one ten. You know, isn't it funny how the perception of a fighter changes so much based on recent performances? Because one year, you know, a year ago today, people would be saying, you know, fade. Cesar Mutanj any fight because of his chin, you know, because he gets knocked out every single fight, right? But then he had this back surgery and he found a way to, you know, take those Flintstone vitamins and he's making it work here and now he's he's working around his chin and he's getting he's getting things done. He's getting big wins. I mean, to go out there and submit a guy like Jack Hermanson, that's a big deal, man. I mean, Jack Hermanson looked great in his UFC debut and uh, Cesar went out there and finished him. Now, yeah, that against, was tough. Against a guy like Elias, you know, even though we like to make fun of Elias a little bit, the thing with him is I got to give it to him. He's a smart guy, man. And I feel like he tries to fight guys at their weaknesses, you know, like with Tiago Santos. Even though, you know, people are going to be like, what do you mean? He was throwing like a bunch of kicks at him. And it, it was like, look, he wasn't going kick for kick with Tiago Santos. That's not what was going on at all. He was throwing volume, trying to go a million miles per hour so that Tiago couldn't kick anything. And then he ended up gassing himself out and he had to resort to his original game plan, which was, you know, the grind. I mean, you know, excuse me, the end result, the end game, which was to wrestle Tiago Santos and, and get him down. So here with, with Cesar Mutanch, I think that he can have the proper approach, which is if you're going to beat Mutanch, you have to go out there and you have to knock him out. You have to hurt him. He can be, be hurt. He can be knocked out. He's been knocked out on multiple occasions. It wasn't one time that was some accident. It's been like four times, and they weren't accidents at all, and they all happened very early in the first round. Now, I know that Elias Theodoro isn't known for his knockout power, but it's kind of different when you're going in there against a guy like like Tiago Santos and you're kind of intimidated by him. So, like, you, you know, you're not going to throw as hard as you normally do. You're going to try to be as safe as possible and run away and throw those little kicks. And you, you know what I'm saying, Sean? You don't want to overcommit because you don't want to get countered with that big shot that puts you out cold. But I feel like in, yeah. the, in this fight, since Elias is a smart guy, he can go out there and not have that same fear that he had in the Tiago Santos fight and let those hands go and knock out a guy like Mutanch. I feel like he's smart enough for that. Now, the question I have is who's the stronger guy in the clinch? You know, who's the stronger guy if, you know, if it becomes a clinch battle or a battle of wills, you know, the wrestling, all that because the way that Mutanch has been winning fights is by taking dudes down. I mean, he's got a serious blast double. He's got a serious guillotine choke as you saw in the Tiago Maheta fight. So, a lot of people are, are picking Mutanch based on how he looked recently in his last three fights and based on the fact that, you know, Elias Theodora, you know, he took that ass opening against Santos and and had a very boring fight against Sam Alvey. But still, I, I still think he's a kind of smart guy because even though he fought like to, you know, we think he fought like a bitch against Sam Alvey, against Sam Alvey, he still did the smart thing. You know how you were talking about earlier how if you were a fighter, you know, you'd be... A, a safe as fuck fighter that's what he was doing you know he wasn't trying to get into a standing exchange with a guy like sam alvey that can knock him out he was trying to be as safe as possible so in this fight i think he's going to approach it accordingly just like he's been doing in all his fights so 
even though I was going to pick Cesar Mutanch all week, I'm really leaning towards Elias Theodora, man. I think that he's the smarter fighter, and I think he's going to find a way to get his first uh, UFC real, real knockout. You know, not that, you know, Roger Narvaez stuff. I'm talking about a real knockout. So I'm going to go with Elias Theodora here, man. I am going the other way. Uh, Elias Theodoro has never shown me fucking anything. I don't think that Sam Alvey, beating Sam Alvey really amounts to anything either. Uh, Elias Theodoro is like, he's white guy number 17. He really has no identity. I don't really understand what he's trying to do. Sometimes he's a volume guy, but he's not. He's a grinder, but he's not. His wrestling is not good enough to call him a wrestler. I don't know. He doesn't know. It's not good. Uh, the power seems to not be there at all. And he's just he's just never shown me anything. He's never shown me anything. The thing with Mutanch is he, he must have had, like, a conversation with, with Overeem. And they like buddied up and they were like, look, we're pretty good and we're physical freaks and we've got a lot of offense. But if somebody taps us in the chin, we're going to sleep. What do we do about it? (laughs) Well, we're going to fight super safe. We're going to run away and we're going to keep some distance and we're going to keep it like that until somebody does something stupid and then we can catch up. And that is an effective thing to do when you, you know what I'm saying? When you've got this giant hole in you that anybody can get to, you got to protect that hole, and and they do now, and the Mutanch does now. Um, I actually like the style of safety first for Mutanch more than I like his other style because the dude is he's a physical freak. He's huge. He's fast, and his kicks are no fucking joke. His spin kicks, his spin kicks and stuff are scary as shit. And at distance, which he's got distance on basically everybody. He's dangerous, man. He just is. And it, it's scary out there. And a, a non, you said earlier, you're talking about Theodoro not over committing and stuff like that. Theodoro's real problem is that he doesn't commit to anything. He's always on the back foot before the strike finishes. He always wants to be the fuck out of there before he actually does something to you. It's really strange. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and if you're going to go out there and you're going to bite on feints, and you're going to stay at distance against Mutanch, you're eventually going to get kicked, you know, in the body, in the head. You're blocking them. You see that back foot coming up, and then you were going to go in, but you're not going to go in anymore. And then all of a sudden you've waited the round away at Mutanch's kicking range, and you didn't get close enough to do anything. And when the judges look at that round, they say Mutanch controlled it with kicks. Yeah, but Sean, and that's how I see this going. What, what about the clinch? We can't ignore the clinching. This fight is for sure going to yeah. go in the clinch. I see what you're saying about the kicking yeah. range, but I feel like that's only going to be momentarily. I feel like the real battle is going to be won in the clinch. So you're well, going to you're going to go and next say step. you're going to go and say that yeah. that Mutanch is the stronger guy here. I am going to say that Mutanch is the stronger guy here, uh, and. The, the next step of what I was, where I was going with that is that once that kick range is, is breached, which it will be eventually with these guys, it's going to be in a really ugly, smothering way. It's not going to be in like a, like a really sharp, get a takedown, right, a, under a kick kind of way. It's like, oh, Theodore, I, I can't stay out here the whole night. I got to get close. So it's like a bum rush, and then they sloppily end up chest to chest. And as far as who turns who's back onto the cage, 
I'm going to say that Mutanch turns Theodoro's back to the cage there. When they're digging for underhooks and trying to power each other around, I like Mutanch there. Um, and as far as takedowns go, uh, I like Mutanch's takedowns against the cage better. As far as the grappling goes, I like uh, Mutanch's uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu to keep him on top there more. I like uh, his jiu-jitsu to, to stand him up or to threaten with subs if he ends up on his back. I think he's better everywhere. I don't think that Theodoro has the power to break him. Um, I think he's riding on some real confidence. And what it comes down to problem-wise is the you know Canadian judges, Canadian guy, possibly a close fight, possibly an ugly fight. It's tough, man. I like Mutanch here. He made it into my round robin. Mutanch by decision is plus 220. Um, I like long, uh, you know, two-minute sections of every round held at kicking range, and then I like uh, Mutanch to inevitably come up on top in the clinch exchanges whether that ends up taking them to the ground or just leaning up against the cage for the rest of the round, I'm not sure. But Mutanch is the pick. I know you were saying that, uh, you know, a win over Sam Alvey isn't that big of a deal, but you know what, man? I feel like a win over Sam Alvey is a lot bigger of a deal over a win, you know, over uh, Oluwali Bangbozi or Anthony Smith or these guys that Mutanch has been winning. But I got to give him credit. You know, ever since that surgery and finding a way to fight around his chin, he's been looking better than ever. There's no denying that. And maybe he is the stronger guy here. But we can't discount the fact that there was a reason we were trying to fade him every fight. And with Elias, even though I get what you're saying, man, you know, he he doesn't really try to fight. You know, he does a bunch of bitch shit. You know, am I a fan of his? Not at all, dude. Like, you know, when when I show my friends that I want to get into this sport you know, why I love this sport, the last thing I'm going to do is show them an Elias Theodoro fight. But that doesn't mean that he can't win this fight, Sean. You know what I'm saying, man? And he's found a way to win so many damn times that, you know, I feel like he can do it here too. And he's a smart guy, you know, even though it's boring as fuck, he's he's a smart guy, man. And I feel like he could knock out Cesar Mutanj. But, you know, I, I hope you're right. You're not going for a bet here, are you? Yeah, no, I put I put Mutanch by decision in a round robin, so okay. tiny bet, but uh, well, I, yes, I like it. Well, I hope you cash, man. You know what I mean? Well, I, thank I, I, you. I hope you cash straight up, man. So Johnny Hendricks, he's plus one fifteen, and Hector Lombard is minus one twenty five. Now this is a very interesting fight. You know, both these guys are fighting at middleweight here, and uh, you know what's the line on Johnny making weight right now? But you know, I feel like he has been. Uh, you know, he's been giving better interviews on Fight Week, if you know what I mean, Sean. And uh, the thing with Johnny that, that's kind of interesting here is that, you know, even though, you know, the saying amongst a lot of, you know, MMA uh, gamblers is that, you know, always fade Johnny Hendricks nowadays. But the thing is, Hector, Hector Lombard, even though he's super dangerous, you know, make no mistake about it, he has gotten his life brutally changed. Two times in a row, man. I mean, the fight against Neil Magny, that could have been stopped on numerous occasions. And he took an astronomical amount of shots in that fight. And you never come back the same from that. And and, and he didn't come back the same from that because, you know, he went out there against Dan Henderson, the legend. And, dude, you know, that knockout, you know, the head kick to the 
to the side elbow. You know, when you get hit with one of those elbows and and you're out cold like like that, it, it, you know, it's one of those things that he already had an ass whooping that he couldn't come back from. Now he had another. Now he's had another ass whooping that he can't come back from. You know what I'm saying, Sean? And I was at that fight between Hector Lombard and Dan Henderson. And, you know, they probably didn't show this on the TV, but Hector was out for fucking five to ten minutes, dude. Like, you know, people in the crowd were like, is this dude alive? Like, you know, it, it was one of those, Sean. So, you know, he's coming back from a life changer. I know he looks a lot different than Hendricks in terms of his uh, of, of his body. You know, he's a Cuban guy. He's, scre he's sculpted like a fucking Greek god. And Hendricks has got that dad bod. But at the same time, you know, that, that doesn't mean shit because you look at a guy like big country nelson you know he made a career off of uh KOing the taller uh better looking guys right sean so you know yeah. with, with a guy like uh johnny hendrix i feel like he's gotta weather this early storm that's always the case with hector lombard you have to weather the early storm because he is capable of knocking guys out he knocked out Husimar pajaras he knocked out nate markor he 30 27 jake shields he 30 20, he judo throwed jake shields one does not simply judo throw jake shields so i'm kind of interesting to see what happens if johnny gets past the first round and a half because after the first round and a half hector lombard is not the same guy at all you know he starts staring at you and you know only only tries to counter strike but it's not very effective counter striking it's very slowed down he's able to get taken down and the thing with johnny that we can't criticize him on is that even though he has been losing his fights he still tries to find a way to win, Sean. He still tries to push that pace in there, even though you know he's missing. You know he's swinging at air. He's not knocking. He's not sending dudes flying across the octagon like he used to in the Martin Catman and the John Fish fights. He's still trying to do that at least, and he's still able to go all three rounds hard. You know, not like he used to, but he's still doing it, man. So at 185, the question is, can he survive the first round and a half with? with Hector Lombard and take over this fight. So I really don't know, man. Like, you know, part of me thinks that he that Hector Lombard can put him away right away because, you know, Johnny doesn't have his sights set on, you know, being the champion again. He's kind of just fighting for fun. And Hector Lombard is, you know, training at ATT. Johnny Hendricks is doing the whole, you know, he opened his own gym type thing. And, you know, may maybe he's getting good training. Maybe I have no clue what the fuck I'm talking about. But by the way it sounds and by the by the way that we know history repeats itself it does seem like the kind of fight that hector lombard can win but honestly sean even though i've been wanting to pick hector lombard all week based on the fact that hector lombard is coming off two life changers i'm gonna actually go with johnny Hendricks to weather that storm and to, grind, and to grind them out in those last two rounds and get that and get that split decision get get that controversial split decision and may, maybe the knockout power comes back, but I seriously doubt it. You know, I think he's going to miss weight. And if Hector puts him away early, I'm not going to be surprised one bit at all. Because when you got one foot out the door, you know, there's a reason that we talk about shit like that. Because it is very fucking real. And, but it's not like I don't think Hector has one foot out the door either. You know what I'm saying? It's just that when people look at the fight they see a dude that's that's sculpted like a greek god versus a guy with that dad bod so they think the fucking greek god's gonna kill him but that greek god got killed twice in a row man and you know hendrix has been losing too but it's it's only been uh it's only been decisions he could lose a decision here too but we know that that hector lombard fades that's why this fight is so intriguing sean 
Yeah, you know, you pretty much nailed this one. And, you know, this is super risky, and there's tons of questions both ways. And if you're listening to this show, I don't need to tell you about Johnny Hendricks' problems, and I don't need to tell you about Hector Lombard's problems because you know them. Uh, here's what I would tell you to look at, and here's what I I like about this fight. I bet one unit on on Hendricks at, at plus one thirty. Um, which guy is more shot, right? Okay, which guy got fucking pulverized to death in his last two fights? It wasn't Johnny, you know what I'm saying? Johnny, in my opinion, just beat Magny. He looked terrible, but he beat him. I thought, okay, not a robbery. I get it triangles, elbows. Okay. But he certainly didn't get fucking pulverized. He definitely took the beating that Tim Kennedy could not, you know what I'm saying? Like could of uh, Hector Lombard taken that Gastelum beating? Fuck no. Fuck no. There's only one guy who's out of these two guys who's been absolutely stiff as a board, separated from his senses, just looking like you said, just too scary, real, real fucking scary. And no matter how cut he is, you remember how cut he was before the Magni fight? Didn't didn't work though, did it? Out like, cold for ten minutes against Hendo. Yeah, it's not it's not good. We thought one he was of these dead. guys is more. One of these guys is more shot, and I think the guy who's been stiffened up and crushed twice is the guy who's more shot. And when the situation is bad, you know, Johnny sat, fought back in the second round against Kelvin. I, like I just said, I, th- I think that Johnny uh, pulled off the win against Magny. Um, he's not totally giving up in there. He does go back to the wrestling. Sometimes he's just fucking grabbing a single and burying his head so he can breathe. But it's not Hector Lombard who can't breathe, who's like a step back and put both his hands on his knees type guy. When, when Hendricks weathers this storm, the first minute and a half or two minutes or whatever Lombard has, if this is even a fight where Lombard decides to pull the trigger, which is also a question because he's, he's not done that in the past, absolutely. Um, after he weathers that storm, he's going to get takedowns. And he's not going to get takedowns because his wrestling is better than Hector's judo. He's going to get takedowns because Hector is going to be fucking exhausted. And he's going to get takedowns, and he's going to do what he wants on top. Do what he wants could be holding on to a single and burying your head to breathe. Doing what he wants could be posturing up and throwing down bombs. We don't know that part. You know what I'm saying? And, and Hector, if this makes it to the third round he's, and he comes out exhausted, is it really going to be surprising if Johnny goes flying across the cage and lands that big, huge left hand and knocks him cold? Can can Hend- or can Lombard take one of those at this point? I don't think so. I don't think so. So, uh, you know, but you're, can Hendricks you're take the a- can Hendricks take the Lombard heat too? We got to consider that because Lombard he, does throw he serious heat. Like he still dropped Dan Henderson in that fight that he lost, and he still dropped Neil right, Magny but- in that fight that he lost. So with Hendricks, you know, being the fact that he's got one foot out the door, if he gets in that same situation. Will he try his best to prevail? That's my question here, Sean. I, I mean, that's the kind of shit that you don't know. That's the kind of shit that you don't know. But you do know that both those guys survived. Came back and knocked them out brutally. You know what I mean? Like, uh, could true. this happen? Could he, catch, could he catch Johnny and not finish? And that's the end of the gas tank for the whole night? For the whole career, matter of fact? That could happen. 
You know what I mean? There's, there's a ton of question marks here. When you boil this fight down, it's who's more shot. I'm saying the guy who almost died twice, uh, who's had records set on his fucking head, that guy's more shot. That's who I'll say is more shot. I'll take the other guy, plus 130. Fucking, you know, giant question mark. But, yeah, I like it. I like him to, I like him to stop Lombard. Good luck. We got Derek Lewis in the main event. He's minus 111 versus Travis Brown, who's minus 109. And uh, this is an interesting fight. A lot of people have been picking Travis Brown here. You know, a lot of people uh, aren't impressed with Derek Lewis. I'm not one of those people, Sean. I am impressed with them because you know that I'm impressed with guys that find a way to win long term. And I think that Derek Lewis is one of those guys. Not only that, I think that right now the momentum is on his side. You know, back when Travis Brown was knocking out over him, even though, let, let's not forget the, the, the serious ass whooping he took in that fight. Let's not forget him screaming in that fight. Let's not forget the fact that the ref almost stopped the fight on multiple occasions in that fight. But hey, he still persevered and knocked out over him. So, you know, you got to give him the credit he deserves. And he took that first ass whooping like a man against Fabricio Werdum, but that was an ass whooping of ass whoopings, and uh, eventually those things got to catch up to you, man. And I think they have caught up to him because you know back when he was knocking out Gabriel Gonzaga, you know, with those elbows and Josh Barnett with, with the same exact method with the elbows, Travis Brown looked like a completely different guy, and, and it looked like you know maybe this guy could be a UFC champion. You know, he's athletic. He was mobile. You know, he had such great footwork and. He would do such awkward things that I I was always impressed with him early on, but something changed, man, and no one can deny it. I, I don't know exactly what it is. You know, there's a lot of speculation if it has to do with his coaches, if it has to do with, you know, new new th- new uh regulations in the sport, whatever it could be. Or maybe it's maybe it's just father time, but bottom line is He's changed dramatically, you know. Or, or you know, another argument people like to say is, "Well, he just fought the two best guys in the world." Yeah, this is a hundred percent true. He did just fight the two best guys in the world, but the damage is done, Sean. And what I mean by that is, well, you know, you look at a lot of these guys uh, towards the end of their careers, and they start getting their asses whooped by by you know the best guys in the world. They come back, and then they start losing the worst guys. So, you know, using using the whole he only lost to the number one and number two guy in the world argument. I, I you know I, I don't fucking buy that. If it was a you know a one time thing, and the guy's a long term winner, okay, yeah, you know you know that we're talking about a different story. But here in particular, we're talking about a guy that's digressed completely, gets wobbled every single fight, completely abandoned everything that gave him success early on. And, uh, you know, it's just been, it's been getting crushed. Yeah, it hasn't by the number one and two guy in the world. But, you know, the brain damage he got in those fights, it's still there, guys. And, and with, with Derek Lewis, he's got the confidence now. Now, I understand that at times Derek Lewis is very inactive. But when he does decide to, you know, go for it, I mean, this guy's blitzes. You know, he'll get you up against the fence, start unloading on uppercuts. He'll throw a head kick from time to time. And when he's on top of you... You know, he is known for putting guys out cold. And with Travis Brown, even in the fights that he wins, he gets wobbled 
every single fight or he'll find a way to dislocate his ankle after doing you know some flying kick it's just you know i, I i've given up on travis brown and uh you know I, even though Derek lewis yeah he is funny on twitter the memes are great this and that we don't bet based on shit like that you know like there's plenty of other guys that are funny like with Derek lewis for me it has nothing to do with that cool yeah he's a great guy whatever you know, we bet on plenty of assholes too, right, right, Sean? But uh, you know, with yeah. De- with Derek Lewis, I just feel like this is his time, and I don't feel like Travis Brown is anywhere near the same guy that he used to be. I feel like the old guy, the guy that stars Josh Barnett, yeah, I feel like that guy could beat Derek Lewis. Yeah, Derek Lewis, he ran into a forearm against Matt Mitrione. Look, it was an un- unfortunate situation, but it's like if any heavyweight would have ran into that forearm, they would have been knocked out. It wasn't like. Oh, like Derek Lewis sucks because he ran into that. Oh, he got hit by a hook kick. Any heavyweight gets hit by a hook kick, like they're gonna fucking lose. And like Travis, Travis Brown ain't about to do shit like that. So I just feel like, look, you know, he he looked good in the first thirty seconds of the Arlovsky fight. He gets hit one time, and he, it's a completely different story. So I feel like as soon as he gets hit that one time, it, it's gonna be a completely different story. And I, I think he's gonna get finished, man. You know, I mean, you recall that fight with Roy Nelson. Tell me that Travis Brown can take that punch in the third round of the Roy Nelson fight. I know which I know which, I know, no I know you know which punch I'm talking about, Sean. Like tell me that oh, Travis yeah, Brown can yeah. take that shit. All the Vaseline in the world flew off of his head. Yeah. yeah I know exactly the one you're talking about. <laughs> I'm so surprised he ate that. That was the, that was so rough, dude. Oh my god, I can't believe he ate that. And he acted like it wasn't even a big shot either. That was his hardest punch. <laughs> that was like the Sunday punch he hit him. All the Vaseline in the whole arena flew off of this beard right there. It's, it's you know, true, man. I, talk about flat earth shit. I'm about to say some flat earth shit. Uh, Travis Brown is a way better fighter than, than Derek Lewis. The, the weird part is that saying that Travis Brown is better than anything. It's like he was, he did have some potential at one point. Uh, I was always skeptical of this potential. Hey, Br- hey Brandon, this- Brandon Vera had some potential at one point, too. That's right. Yes. Yes. And in certain parts of Japan, he still does. But, um, it, you know, it's... it's Magma. The, the talent... The, the, yeah, plenty. The talent and, and the technical aspects of his game... You know, that's not gone. I don't know what happened to him. I I assume it's a certain girlfriend in a certain camp. It seems like that, you know, but he had his problems even when he was looking at his at his best. Um, the thing about Derek Lewis is, and I, I think he's terrible. I don't think he has any game whatsoever. I think he's just a big guy who tries to hit you. And I do think the things that you said about him are true. He does wind up winning, you know what I'm saying? But he he's just always he ends up in a shitty position all the time and there's just nothing going on with him. He's just a guy who hits with power and it's not a, not technical power either. It's just, it's just power. And, and his, his chin is not good. And, and I've just been waiting for him to get destroyed for his whole career. And I bet against him, you know, practically every time, I'm three and two, or excuse me, two and three against them. So he's proven me wrong more than I've proven uh, that that theory wrong, but right rather. Um, but here, you know, he, he is a little lackadaisical. He doesn't really bring any any real pressure. You know, if something changed for the better with Travis Brown, that's possible. 
you know what I'm saying? There seems to be a little bit of a camp switch going. He's he's obviously not in his corner. Uh, his punches are looking better. Uh, can he stay at range and, and snap kick and throw jabs and throw one-twos and, and eventually land something on Derek Lewis and knock him out? Yeah, absolutely. Can he squish Derek Lewis up against the cage and eventually get a takedown and stay on top and rain on him? Yeah, absolutely. Can he get fucking clipped once and then the Derek Lewis hype train somehow continues? Yeah, sure, that can happen too. Um, if I have to pick somebody here, it's, it's going to be Travis Brown. I think he's better. I think in a division that has proven time and time again where you think a guy is done and he just comes back and he strings two wins together and you're talking about him like he was never done, that's almost happened to every single guy. And every single guy at the top of this division uh, that I can think of right now off the top of my head has had that moment. Stipe, JDS, Kane, Redoom, all these guys. All these guys have had one fight where you're like, fuck, you're done, huh? And then, nope, not done. Arlovsky, Bigfoot. It's just Travis Brown has had the moment where he's looked at and we're like, this guy's fucking done. Now it's the moment where he comes back and and we forgot about that for a little while. That's going to happen on Sunday night. <laughs> and I think it's going to happen over the course of about three rounds. And eventually he's going to find a shot and he's going to get Derek Lewis out of there, which I don't think is a, is a hard thing to do at this, at this weight class with these big punchers. Nice, straight, long one. He'll get him. The way like you Brown. guys underestimate Derek Lewis and give Travis Brown that big of a chance. I mean, the way he's been looking, it's just it's not a guy that really wants to fight anymore. And Derek Lewis does want to be in there. Like, I understand that. Look, if you if you gave me Kane versus Derek Lewis or, or Francis Ngannou, I mean, we, you know, it would be, it'd be a different story. But we're talking about, we're talking about Travis Brown here. Look, 2017 look, Travis that, Brown. If, if Co- we're Coach Edmund Travis Lewis Brown. Wants, Derek Lewis wants to be in there. When a, guy, when a guy says, I'm only fighting until my house is paid off, that's not a I yeah, want to be yo, in there. Yo, when hold a guy on, hold says on, publicly, hold on, hold on. You used that argument two years ago, and now he's a whole, he, he's he's a completely different fighter now. Like, come on, he's been knocked the, the, out in those. He's been knocked out twice in those two years. A bullshit. He's been knocked out twice by jobbers in those two years. I mean, at the time, but look, he overcame. He faced defeat, and he got fucking spinning smash kicked by fucking Sean Jordan too. You, you know who hasn't faced feet like a champion? Travis Brown and Travis Brown got spinning kicked recently too, but you know I know it wasn't by Sean Jordan, but he still got spinning kicked. So you know, Travis Brown fucking sucks, bro. Travis Brown does suck, but Travis Brown has taken a severe beating and won the fight. Uh, Derek Lewis ten not years even ago, fucking close. Ten years not ago, not even fucking close. And Derek Lewis is like, I don't even like fighting. Okay, all right, I'll keep going, buddy. Keep going, buddy. It's a heavyweight. It can happen to anyone. Anyone can do it to you. Well, Travis Brown doesn't anyone like fighting can land either. It. Uh, I don't know. At least he doesn't come out and say it. I mean, you don't got too big of a bet on him, right? No, he's just in the same tiny round robin as all the other uh, darts that I'm throwing. Well, as long as two of them win, then you're all good. But I don't think Travis Brown's yes. going to be one of them. That's okay. 
It is okay. I will. I at least I'll enjoy the fight because I'll have something to root for. Indeed, but are besides you... just besides just Derek Lewis losing because I don't like him. So, you know, bet aside, you dislike Derek Lewis more than you dislike Travis Brown. Yes. Interesting. I don't like. I don't. I don't like super. Super one-dimensional guys who who get this like get this like fake hype going, this undeserved fake hype going for him. He just got laid on by a tiny little pitter pat heavyweight. For remember, we were talking about like, here's your chance, Derek Lewis. Here's what they're giving you. They're giving you a main event and a guy that you should absolutely squash in two seconds. Here's your chance to live up to it. What happened? Just this is just true. The fucking opposite. Just, this is just true. Brutally awful. Just this is different. Just put though. you right to sleep. This is a different eh. situation, Sean. Because now the motivation is different when you get the the call to fight. You know, Shamil. You know, as a uh, Derek Lewis likes to refer to him as. You know. Abdurabdubov, you know what I'm saying? Like, when you get the call to fight Shamil Abdurakhimov, it's not the same motivation as, as, as when you get the call to fight Travis Brown in the main event at UFC Halifax on Fox Sports 1 this Sunday night. You know what I'm saying, Sean? So I, I feel like this is a different story because this, this is the chance to potentially break into the top five. And I feel like he's going to show up for this one. And besides, you know, even though you think that or you dislike his fighting style, he finds a way to win, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, if he gets caught, he gets caught. But he finds a way to win. And Travis Brown, like, you, this is a fist fight. People are going to get hit in fist fights. We know Travis Brown gets wobbled now in every single fist fight he t- he's in. And we know he doesn't fight in the fist fights he's in. So, like, I, I don't see why we'd be suddenly picking him now. I, look, if we're talking we're Doom or JDS or fucking Kane or Stipe or may, potentially over him, I know that chin is questionable, then I understand, you know, you want to fade the Black Beast, but, like, dude, we're talking Travis Brown, bro. He can land it. He can land a shot. We will find out Sunday it. night only on FS1. And, dude, we got to talk about the prelims because we got Gerald Mearshart. He's minus 295. And Ryan James is plus 265. Now, look, a lot of people think that Gerald Mearshart is the L word here. And, that look, man, here's the case with that. He is a vet. He is a tough southpaw. He has defeated guys by finish. You know, guys such as Sam Alvey. He is on a win streak. He is putting it together. He does train at Rufus Sport. I mean, what else is there to say? But this Ryan James guy, man, I'll tell you what, Sean, this guy is tough as hell. He does have, you know, the the stereotypical tall man defense. I mean, this guy, you know, when he, there's levels to tall man defense, and this guy's got some of the, I, you know, I, I want to say he's got some of the worst, but at the same time, I, I, I haven't seen him get dropped. So, you know, it, you know, when we talk about Jared Hammond, Maybe he has the worst tall man defense because he literally got dropped, you know, when he got hit. But this guy, Ryan James, has been taking it. But at the same time, Sean, we know that that eventually catches up to you and that one day you're not going to be able to take those shots like you like you weren't able to in the past. Now, with Gerald Mearshart, 
He's got to know that, and he's a vet in this game, so he could totally go out there and, uh, you know, and try to knock him out. And I think that that would be a smart game plan. But he, the way he's been winning his fights lately is he's been tapping dudes out. So it, he would have to change his game plan here. And with Ryan Jans, you know, even though he is very tough on the feet and that he does land a lot of volume, especially if you start to gas out. And, you know, even though this guy's going to eat a ton of shots, he's going to walk forward and he's going to land volume, man. And uh, Gerald Mearshart has to fight smart here. You know, it's not the... It's not the sure thing or whatever. No, no fight's a sure thing, but it's not the sure thing that people are making it out to be. Mershart should be able to get it done based on his experience. But Ryan James totally has a path to victory here, Sean, just in the sense that if Mershart tries to go back to the grappling, which he is known for, James can neutralize that and out-volume him on the feet and get the Canadian decision. But I do think that uh, Gerald Mershart is going to find a way to potentially be the first man to knock him out. You know, you got to lean Mirshart here. I, I get it. But you know what? You know how many times Mirshart's been subbed, Daniel? Back in the day, though, you know what I mean? Right? Or was how it many, recent? But do you, know how, do you know how many times, though? A million? 673 times he's been subbed. That's well, a ton I was of close, subs, right? I That's was a close. Lot. You were close. You went over by a little bit. But, uh, you know... That's just an issue here. Like, Ryan James is no joke on the ground, okay? So if this goes to the ground, even though those subs are ancient history at this point, that's not, you know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't completely fucking go away. Can he get caught on the ground? Yeah. Is that is that number okay with this situation on the ground? The number, like, the three whatever is hung on him right now? Fuck no. Fuck no. Stay away from the why. No. No. And then standing, if that does get neutralized, if Mearshart does get on top and, and gets threatened and, and it doesn't stay there for long and it stops, you know, Ryan James can, can work that doofy, tough, Forrest Griffin striking game on you. He just can. Nothing's special about it. Nothing's great about it. But it's tough. And there's volume. And he's going to come forward and he's going to take what you hit him or take what you, what you hit him with, he's going to be okay with it, seemingly. Um, that's dangerous, too. And and all that being said, I lean Mearshart to win this fight. I think he's the better guy. But this number, met, mixed with those dangers, no fucking way. Not going anywhere near it. So, again, like another tout master pick that's going to lose, but, uh, you know, the pick is going to be James. And last but not least, Ayman Zahabi. He's minus 235. He's taking on Reginaldo Vieira, who's plus 215. And, you know, Vieira won the Ultimate Fighter Brazil. You know, he's a very, uh, he's a very uh, muscular guy, very tough, you know, throws big bombs and uh, tends the Trains in his kitchen. Tends. <laughs> Tends the gas. Literally trains in his kitchen. <laughs> Ten, tends the gas around the one minute and a half mark of the fight. But with, you know, Ayman Zahabi, you know, a lot of people are saying that this is a situation where Reginato has been br being brought in to lose. But, but at the same time, when you look at it, 
the guys that Zahabi has been fighting, you know, he's been going out there and destroying them, which is the way you're supposed to handle these jobbers. And then maybe you make your debut on the big stage and, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? You go out there and perform. But I'll, I'll tell you this right now, Sean, the pressure is going to be very high. I mean, you're Faraz Zahabi's brother. You're, you're fighting in Canada. This is your UFC debut. You're taking on a guy who has already had two fights in the UFC. You know, it's not going to... He's not going to knock him out with the first punch. You know, you know what I'm saying, Sean? So, yeah, But yeah. at the same time, I do think the Zahabi kid has talent, man. And I think uh, he's going to yeah. go out there and get it done, man. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, I'm very curious to see what he brings to the table. Yeah. It, his name has been stuck in my head all week. Amen Zahabi. But I've been using it as like a greeting. Like, hey, man, Zahabi. You know what I mean? Like, people are like, what? I just keep saying it. I don't know why I keep repeating his name in my head all week, but I've been doing that. Anyway, he's this. You know how he said there's a lot of people who have been saying this is a this is a fight where it's set up. You know, they're bringing in Vieira to to, to lose. Um, I'm saying that they're bringing in Vieira to lose, and this is a setup fight. I compared this to Mickey Gall and Mike Jackson. Completely ignore the part where I'm I'm comparing fighters because I'm not. I'm saying here is an outcome the UFC wishes to happen. They are going to set it up in a particular way that makes it the most possible for that outcome to come true. And this is the same exact setup. You've got a guy coming in, a uh, little bit of prestige attached to him because of the tough win. Um, has never gotten in, has no knockouts. Uh, how the fuck do you pull that off? You're fighting, you're fighting Mexican circuit guys. You're not getting knockouts. Well, why not? Okay, this he's not fucking good. He's not good. He's got no gas tank. And, and don't tell me about Mexican grappling. I'm not a believer. Okay, it's not no, that's not a real thing. Um, and and you train in your kitchen. And on the other half of this, the, the other side of this coin, Amon Zahabi. Hey man, Zahabi. Um, he, when Joe Duffy says this guy torches UFC pros in the, in the gym constantly, he probably means it. You know what I'm saying? Why is he saying that? Why? It's, it's gotta be true. The stories about him torching UFC guys in the gym, there's where there's smoke, there's fire. There's something going on there. Um, when you're brought up around the masterminds of this sport and when it comes down to it. I feel like TriStar is the most cutting-edge camp. The reason why I think that is because I feel like this whole sport is going towards a jab and a one-two centric, safety-first kind of stick-and-move boxing game. Like, not just boxing, but adapted to MMA. I think that the first times that we start seeing this um, – is there is at that camp. I think, you know, you can, you can teach this to guys. It doesn't mean that it's, you know, they're going to crush everybody with it, but as far as like teaching the cutting edge, I think that's what it is. And I think that's where it comes from. I think they're the, they're the best at that right now. Uh, for us, the hobby is absolutely a mastermind, you know, and his brother has been surrounded by all these people, his whole career, you know what I'm saying? And they're, they're safe. They, they're not going to get him in there before he's ready. They think he's ready. He's, he's got a super winnable fight in front of his home crowd. 
this is a setup. This is a hey. setup. This is get. This is get. Yes. What do you think about my uh, my max bet on uh, on Kelvin Gastelum and Joe Duffy? I like it. I think that's good. I'm into it. Speaking of, I don't like five fifty for for Duffy. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go different direction on that, but same guys, different bets, but. You know, this is this is a setup fight, man. This is get your your hopeful future Canadian star a win in Canada where he looks good as well. Everything surrounding uh, Eamon Zahabi contextually says that this guy is going to be high class and ready to go. And everything, you know, around uh, Vieira says the opposite. And we've seen the opposite. Uh, no, it's not going to work out. Zahabi's going to look good here. He's going to finish inside the distance. Uh, I, I like this spot a lot. This is my favorite spot on the card. It's a decent price. Uh, the way that Zahabi loses this fight is that he is yellow. He folds under the pressure. We don't know that. We have no way of knowing that. The only way that we have of knowing that is to see that happen. So hopefully we don't see that happen. I don't suspect that that, that that's going to happen, but... Uh, we will see. So he goes out there and he fights to where uh, his potential is going to end up being. I think I think he wins this one easily. So, yes, uh, I've got Zahabi in two bets. Matt Mitrione, he's minus 120, and Fedor Milianenko is plus 110. And, dude, you know what? I took a one-unit shot on Fedor when he's plus 138, and... You know, even though, you know, I know the Fabio Maldonado fight happened and, you know, Mitrione, you know, he has the reputation for being a guy, you know, a very dangerous southpaw, his straight punches, you know, he's athletic, this and that, but, I mean, how many times has this dude been dropped, you know what I'm saying? And, like, you know, he makes his, makes his Bellator debut against fucking Carl Sumanu Tafa. Gets knocked out in the first round, but, you know, the ref had an earpiece and they, they told him, you know, let this guy recover. He recovered, he came back and he won the fight, and then, you know, good for him, man, that Ollie Thompson fight, you know, it is what it is, but in this fight right here, man, I think Fedor can land that right hand, and I feel like in this situation, you know, he's going to get the knockout here, now also, let's say this fight goes to the ground, I mean, Mitrione's the same guy who, <laughs> he was going in the fight on the stand-up against Ben Rothwell, and then he shoots for a, <laughs> he shoots for a takedown, and gets that, you know, go-go choke, and you never seen a guy uh, tap quicker than that, dude. So, you know, if, if Fedor, you know, we all know Fedor is not the same guy he used to be. It is what it is, but power is the last thing to go. He's right? like two of the, he's like two of the guy he used to be. Yeah, <laughs> you saw him on the scale? Mean, it's not even the same guy, but look, certain things remain the same. Power is the last thing to go, and can we still throw an overhand right? I think we can. Is Matt Mitrione susceptible to that overhand right? I think he is. So why can't we go in there and, and, and knock him out? I mean, Carl fucking Sumana Taffa did it. You know what I'm saying? So And it was like two fights ago. So let's go in there and let's knock this dude out. If not, you know, I think we can now grapple him too. So I, I took the one-unit shot. You know, he loses and he gets embarrassed because, you know, it's father time. Look, I'll, I'll take it. But, look, I think Matt Mitrione... Even though he's, you know, he's had some great highlight reels. You know, he grew up in the big stage. You know, his first fight was in the UFC, as many people may know. Uh, 
I, I feel like, yeah, you know, he tends to shit the bed in his biggest moments, and this is for sure one of his biggest moments, and I think Fedor's going to find a way to win here, and if this happens to go to decision, I, I feel like, uh, you know how Bellator is, I feel like Fedor might get that decision, so I'm going to go with the overhand right knockout, one unit shot, Fedor. I am going directly against you. Uh, I've got a little history on this fight. I, it was uh, four four separate people that I replied to the same way. They were like, hey, you're one of them. Hey, what do you think about betting on Fedor? I'd really love to bet on Fedor. I'd really love to see him win this fight. But I can't because uh, a middleweight who's super slow, super old, super shot, just knocked the shit out of him in Russia. So I can't see that with my two eyes and then think that Mitrione doesn't just stop him with the first shot that he lands. And then I said that a bunch of times and I said, wait a minute, if I believe that, why aren't I betting on Mitrione? So I went and bet on Mitrione, which I should have done from the beginning. It's stupid. That line is stupid. I understand he can get caught with one shot and knocked out. Sure. Absolutely. I understand I'm going into this bet knowing that risk, but seeing Maldonado get all up in Fedor's ass in Russia, too much to ignore. Too much to ignore. The guy that he's fighting hits way harder, is way faster, is way more athletic. As far as the grappling goes, I'm just going to pretend that grappling is not legal in this fight and totally ignore it whatsoever. If, if Mitrion gets grappled, uh, he's done. You know what I'm saying? But I do not believe that Fedor has any intentions of grappling. I do not believe that Fedor has anywhere near the cardio to grapple for three rounds. Sooner or later, they're going to be standing on his, on his feet, or standing on their feet, trading, and I'm going to take the faster, stronger, straighter-hitting guy uh, who can take a shot versus the guy who just gets beat up by slow middleweights and, and has a name and can't take a shot anymore. Uh, that's bad. And, and as far as Fedor, what, here's what Fedor did. Not particularly fast, not a super hard puncher, fucking impeccable timing. When he was at the top of his game, it's reflex and timing. He knows exactly when to throw when you're on your way in and club you with it. That's gone. It's a, he's too old. The timing is gone. Too many layoffs, too many retirements, too many ass whoopings. The thing that made him great is no longer alive. So now he has to lose people like Mitrione on the big stage, and that's what's going to happen. He's going to get knocked cold, and then nobody's going to care about him ever again. You want to talk about the rest of these, <laughs> these fights, or are you good? I sure do not, no. <laughs> sure don't. You think uh, Patricky at plus 190 can get it done against uh, 2017 Josh Thompson? <sighs> I do not. I think I think Patricky's horrible. I think he's always been horrible. Dude, they brought in like the worst jobber to fight Josh Goschek. Yeah, I looked because I'm like, there's no way I'm fa- I'm not fading Josh Goschek, and then I watched the guy and I was like, oh fuck. Yeah, exactly. Wasted opportunity here. Wasted That's opportunity because we're gonna wa- we're gonna watch Koscheck lose and we're all gonna fucking kick ourselves right in the asses. A hundred percent. It's like, that's the thing about the sport. It doesn't take much, man. It doesn't take much. You can just have a really shitty guy who just wants to beat you up. And in the right situation, he could just beat you up. There's nothing, you know what I'm saying? Like, we've seen it so many fucking times, just these small gloves on an aggressive dude. And just sometimes that's all it takes when you're fighting a guy like Koscheck. 
who was shot fucking three years before this two-year layoff. When he was, uh, you know what I mean? Like, what are you, are you fucking kidding me? Foaming, foaming at is, the mouth against Jake Ellenberger. That's right. This is the kind of thing that pisses you off when you watch Koscheck lose and you go, what the, f- why didn't I bet against Koscheck? Because this guy is so horrible that you can't talk yourself into thinking that he's going to win. Carl Carl Sumanu Taffa, back to the Matt Mitrion discussion. Mm. Big puncher, heavyweights, you know how that goes. Fedor about to knock him out, bro. No, not going to happen. Fedor about to get laid out, face down. It's going to be a sad day. They're gonna take they're gonna take a sweater and they're gonna cover him up with it like he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> he's just gonna be laying there with his magical sweater laid over his face. All of Russia's gonna cry. It's not gonna be good. Then then they're gonna put Mitrione on the on the microphone. He's gonna say something horribly dumb. And we're gonna laugh at Bellator yet again. Yeah. The only thing that this Bellator has going for it is that it's actually live. <laughs> But it didn't happen four days ago in fucking New Zealand. Yeah, Jesus Christ with those tape delays, bro. Yeah, corny. It's terrible. It is indeed. Well, Sean, the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So who's the fight to watch for, uh, what's the fight to watch for UFC Halifax? The fight to watch for UFC Halifax is Derek Lewis versus Travis Brown. This is either going to be the worst shit that you've ever seen where you're struggling to stay awake and it'll be so bad that it'll go down in the record books as like, you need to watch this fight because that's how bad it was. Like that, that, uh, like Hunt Rothwell level terrible. Like you just, you're like, what am I watching? These are pro fighters. It could get that bad. That's fun in its own weird, like sadistic way. So that could happen. And then the other thing that could happen is, is Travis Brown landing a bomb on Derek Lewis where you're like, holy shit, Travis, Travis Brown's still fucking dangerous. That was great. Or we all know what Travis Brown looks like when, when he gets hit. Like uh, the, the best way I've ever described it before is I took my, my two-year-old to like bouncy house world and she tries to stand up on the bouncy houses, but can't, and just like keeps on like wobbling and stepping. That's what Travis Brown does when you hit him one time and hurt him. He gets uh, to- toddler in the bouncy house syndrome. So we could see that too. So all three of those outcomes are uh, exciting in their own ways. So when it comes down to watching something exciting, even in a fucking terrible classic, nothing happens way, and you're laughing the whole time, that's fun too. If this is the fight. That's the fight to watch. My fight to watch is uh, Tiago Santos versus Jack Marshman. I think no matter the outcome, these two are going to go out there and someone's going to get laid out stiff, man. I think that, you know, either Tiago Santos is going to knock out Jack Marshman with, you know, a body kick, which he's known for. He, you know, he's had many of those in his highlight reel or a head kick, something vicious, or Jack Marshman is going to go out there prove his worth in the UFC middleweight division, you know, catch him with a big left hook and put him out. And if that doesn't happen, it could be a three-round war. So for that reason, I think that Marshman versus Santos is the fight to watch for UFC Halifax, Sean. Fair. So who do you think uh, Who do you think is the fighter to watch, man? 
the fighter to watch is Amen Zahabi. Amen Zahabi is uh, the guy to watch here. Look, you're talking serious, serious pedigree, maybe a pedigree that we have never seen before. Okay, that's it's a tough thing to reconcile when you say the, when you talk about Zahabi's pedigree versus what he actually does. Because when you see this, when you see a guy coming out of the situation that he's coming from, you want him to be a killer and to destroy people. And, you know, he kind of ends up doing that, but it's not in a very flashy manner and stuff like that. When you think about the pedigree for Zahabi, I want you to think surgeon. I want you to think a, a fucking huge brain attached to limbs out there, just out there knowing exactly what to do, two steps ahead of you, hitting you in the right spot, picking you off when it's time to pick you off, being accurate, thinking, the kind of guys that I like. So uh, I want Eamon Zahavi to, to live up to that, and, and I think at least in this fight, you, he's going to look like he can end up living up to that. Uh, you know, this is the guy to watch. Him with the crazy, uh, one-sided, spectacular performance, whether it be finishing him or not, uh, that's fun. That's exciting. That's somebody to think about in this division going forward. Yeah, I like that. So he's the guy to watch. My father watches Derek Lewis, man. I mean... A lot of people think that the, the Black Beast doesn't have what it takes to crack the top five of the UFC heavyweight division. No. And in a fight like this, I mean, you know, isn't Travis Brown number six or number seven? I mean, let, let's go in there and take this guy's ranking, you know? Let's take his spot. You know, watch fucking uh, Derek Lewis be ranked higher than Travis Brown, right, Sean? But, <laughs> but bottom line is, uh, you know, Travis Brown is a way bigger name and he's a more established guy in the heavyweight division. He has more key names, you know, key name victories. You beat Alistair Overeem, Josh Barnett, you know, lots of good guys. So I think that Derek Lewis going in there and getting a highlight reel knockout over Travis Brown, you know, that's going to propel him to the next level. So it, for that reason, Derek Lewis is your fighter to watch for UFC Halifax. Well, Sean, Whoa. we did it, man. We did it yet again. Another In, victory for us. Indeed, man. You know, we kept the fans waiting for this one. You know, we want to give a shout out to all the supporters of Half the Battle. Thank you so much for sticking with us and uh, hope this one was worth it. And, you know, if you want to give back to us, you know, we're not going to be like these other podcasts asking you for money and this and that shit. But what you can do to help us is just like the fighters have to have to enter the top 15 of the rankings. We want to enter the top 15 of the iTunes rankings. So the way you can help us do that is by giving us a five-star review on iTunes. So if you enjoy what we do, you know, just go out there. It takes two seconds. Give us a five-star review and leave a couple words about what you think. And also, if you think one of your buddies might be interested, let them know about us. So with that said, yeah, go ahead. I was going to real quick when it, whenever it comes time, somebody asks me to do a review or, but you know what? I just never end up doing it, but I promise you out there, go give us a five-star review and leave us a good review. And then if you need me to leave your review, 
I'll give you a review. I'll actually do it. This is the this is the trade that I'm offering you. So let's go. It's only two seconds. Go do it. Go click some stars. Make something up. Make I, fun of me. I don't care. Just go do it. I feel the same way. You know, it's uh, it's all reciprocity in this game, man. You know, you retweet my stuff. You you know you help me. Uh, I'm gonna help you, man. You know what I'm saying? It's it's all uh, it's brotherhood, right, Sean? Sure. <laughs> I love everybody. <laughs> yeah man well sean anything you want to get off your chest you know to quote the great chael sonnen before we get out of here besides your terrible scoring on the Derek Derek brunson fight no we already covered that we already covered that with your your flat earth theory so Do we, we got over that we, I, I will i will not not appeal it and i will uh drop it actually now unlike Derek Brunson who said he was going to drop it didn't actually drop it but I'm actually going to drop it going on from here I'll pretend that never happened with that said what was your honest opinion when you heard that he might be he might be appealing that uh there's every now and then there's oh I'm okay with it that's that's one that I'm okay with the Holly Home is is one because of the major referee failure. Well, I'm, I'm not okay talking about home. Home I agree with, but come on. With that Derek Brunson one, come on. You know, you had to think that was kind of funny, right? Or, or, or are you that salty, son? No. Yeah, I might just be that salty. That that was an, I, I think that you're was that an salty, obvious man. one-sided robbery to me. What's uh, that? I, I said I think you're that salty, man. Yeah, I think so. Yes. I'll go with yes. Definitely, and dude, you know what? The next card is UFC 209. We got Woodley versus Thompson, and if I'm not mistaken, isn't uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov taking on Tony Kukui? Yes. He'll be on top of him for five rounds, like a blanket. Alistair Overeem versus Mark Hunt. I mean, where's uh, Mark Hunt's... Head out, you know, with everything that's going on, man. Because, you know, even in that Brock Lesnar fight, I was very surprised by the outcome. I would not want Mark Hunt in the position that he is in right now, mad at me, and I'm super vulnerable to, super vulnerable to being knocked out, and I just got knocked out. And I thought that I choked the fight. guy out with a guillotine. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want him in some kind of weird mid-lawsuit position who who you now you're calling him up to go in there and 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 get rid of the guy maybe, but you gave him the you gave him the wrong fucking matchup. You gave him the wrong matchup. If you want to get rid of him, this wasn't the one. You needed a wrestler. You know what I'm saying? Like Curtis Blades was the one. Curtis Blades was the guy that you should have picked. This is not the one. This was horrible. So if you want to get rid of him, you just fucked up. Indeed. Anything else to say? Nope. Well, you can follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. You can follow Sean Carey at Sean Carey Tattoo. Go to bestfightpicks.com for the plays. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Make sure you give us that five-star review. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.